Hello there, and welcome to Sacred Jedi Texts, the Star Wars-only book club. I am Zach Russo, and with me are, uh, as always, uh, Andy and Ted. Uh, for this podcast, we are focusing on the Disney-era Star Wars novels, and um, I, I know for any Star Wars fan, it's an exciting time um, to be digging into these novels because uh, we're focused on the new High Republic series. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, the second installment. I, th- I think technically it's the second installment. Uh, I know that uh, I think Justina Ireland has a book out as well, but um, uh, Claudia Gray uh, put out the second installment of uh, called Into the Dark, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. A uh, really fun book. Um, I, I enjoyed it, uh, but we'll, we'll talk more about that. Uh, but first, Andy, Ted, how are you guys doing today? I've had better days. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing okay, but you know, I, I I feel for Andy. I know he's not having the best day, but we're gonna get through this. We're gonna talk some Star Wars here and have a good time. Full, Excited full to di- talk Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- w- everything will be better once we actually start talking about Star Wars. Full full disclosure: Andy has had about an hour and a half worth of technical issues that we've been trying to work through. Um, so, but uh, but I this hey, we're gonna have a great discussion, and none of that is gonna matter. That's right. <laughs> awesome. We are all the Republic. We are all the Republic. You know, I was I was pretty disappointed to not hear that in this book. Yeah, thought, not I enough thought, chance in this book. You know, we, we didn't right. get any. We are the Nihil. Uh, we are all children of the Force, or we are all the Republic. Yeah, pretty yeah. disappointing. Yeah, there's Hope no we identity get more politics. That chants are central to Star Wars. Uh, I have spoken. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, this At is least the way. Mantras. Stuff like that. It, Maybe mantras, not chants, but mantras, not necessarily yeah. chants, but uh, things that you can chant. That's for sure. Yeah, I was supposed to go to Tashi Station for power converters. <laughs> exactly. Mantra. Yep. <laughs> well, so guys, what did you think about uh, Into the Dark? You know, as as the as the second installment in this this new High Republic era and High Republic series, um, how did it deliver for you, um, uh, Ted? Why don't you start? Um. Well, it it was a more intimate story. Then uh, Light of the Jedi. Light, Light of the Jedi felt more to me like, if, if you want to compare it to Marvel, like an Avengers-level kind of team-up. Even though we are just getting introduced to everybody, there are a lot of people and a lot of things going on at the same time. In this one, it's more intimate. You really get to know specific characters more. And it's happening concurrently with Light of the Jedi, which is nice. So you get some of those threads that happen in Light of the Jedi and their effects on other people and other places in the galaxy. But I I did like the intimate nature of it. Uh, There there were some moments where it struggled specifically with a uh, kind of side plot that we'll talk about later on. But I did enjoy that it was more intimate and we got to really know these characters. And I think at least to me, it seems like they're setting up these characters to be really central to future Star Wars stories. I agree. Andy, how about yourself? Yeah, I'll quote Yoda on this one. Uh, Page Turner, it was not. Uh, but I did enjoy it. Uh, a lot of the stuff in this story in particular, I think, is how does it connect to the greater story being told in the High Republic era? That's what kept me interested in this. 
But in terms of the overall plot, what just kind of happens in this book, not a lot really does happen. And it's hard to get into it where there are parts of the book where you expect something big to happen and maybe nothing really that big all that happens. You don't really learn a lot in this one, unlike the last book. Uh, and I will agree with you, Zach. This is kind of like book number two, even though that there are other you know, media out there. There's the the younger adult book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or what's that? It's a youth youth novel. YA the novel. Justine. Uh, no, it, um, it is a youth novel. Yeah, this is a YA yeah. novel. Um, a, yeah, this yeah. is young, young A. Um, and, but to that point, too, this felt like the most YA um, Star Wars novel I've read in a while. And I, I can't wait to see where it goes next. So I enjoyed this for what it was, but I could have gotten more out of it, I think. And I'm glad we're going to get more books later on. But this one so far wasn't my favorite of the, the High Republic era. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I definitely I, I think this felt very much like a B story to uh, Light of the Jedi. You know, it happens at the same time. It's just another set of events that happens during this, you know, um, uh, disaster of the legacy run. Um, it's it, it I mean, it was it was fun. I mean, there's 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 fun events that happened. And but I do feel like it was more of a stepping stone to continue in, you know, to really a setup and in a, a continue to be able to continue the story with uh, a wider universe, you know, than we already have. It's just more exposition to set the universe uh, before we really dig into um, the events that will eventually lead to the resolution um, of the High Republic. So, yeah, I, I agree. It wasn't my favorite. Uh, certainly wasn't my favorite Claudia Gray novel. Um, not my favorite High Republic novel th- thus far, even though there's only two of them. So, I mean, it's not a huge comparison. Um, but I like this era a lot. Um, you know, it's really fun um, to see a lot of, you know, and Claudia Gray does a great job at this, is um, making the, her stories incredibly meta, you know, and, and how the perspectives of her characters kind of expose um the the in particular like the jedi of this time um so it was really cool to see some of that stuff but um speaking of claudia gray um you know i know we we kind of touched on you know light of the jedi a little bit but what what are your thoughts on you know the writing style from claudia gray versus charles soul um, you know, obviously, it's a different type of novel. You know, this is a, a, a young adult novel versus, you know, a, a you know, fully fleshed out novel. But, um, you know, for me, I'll, I'll, I'll start off by saying, you know, it it didn't keep me as engaged as Light of the Jedi. Um, I I thought it was a little the, the, the point of views of the characters were a little disorganized. You know, when when you when you read a chapter book, right, you, you kind of expect to have one point of view, not necessarily per chapter, but you, you can tell where one leaves off and one picks up. And I thought it was it was it was kind of hard for me to keep track of which point of view we're looking at, you know, from the from all the different characters that we see. Um, so that was probably one of my biggest critiques of the book um, in terms of writing style. Um, but I'm curious to, to see what you guys thought. I can agree with that, um, that it was <clears throat> kind of hard to tell whose POV it was from. And especially, too, because there were moments where a sequence was occurring 
and you'd have one person in one place and one person in another, and then they'd kind of meet up. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, there was another person doing something else at the same time as well. And it, it did split off a lot like Light of the Jedi did, but it was also, like I said earlier, a little more intimate because at least these ex- these uh, characters are experiencing uh, different things at the same place and together, and they come together. In Light of the Jedi, it was a little different because you'd have so many different settings going back and forth between one Jedi to another Jedi to the Nihil, back to another Nihil storm, yeah. back to John Rowe, then over to Avar Chris, and, uh, you know, that ended up working. Like I said, it was kind of like Avengers level as far as like the scale of the disaster, like what we got from the disaster, what the Jedi did, and how many were there. But um, I, I don't know. It it was hard to tell whose POV it was, especially because not not that it has to every time, but a lot of times they'd start in somebody else's POV describing something happening without telling you who it was happening to. And sometimes it was difficult right. to tell because some of these characters are experiencing similar things, if not the same thing at the same time. So I, I can definitely agree with that. I didn't have the same experience while listening to it. I thought it was pretty easy to keep track of um, the POV, but I, I see now that you guys are talking about it, how it could be confusing um, at times. Uh, like I said, wasn't my experience when reading. I will say, though, in terms of like how this book was written, definitely a little jarring after reading Light of the Jedi. Just different writing styles. Claudia Gray writes differently than Charles Soule. Is it better, worse? Not really sure how to compare in this case. But like if I'll go to one of my favorite novels of Claudia Gray, um, which is the Leia Princess of Alderaan book. I absolutely love that book. And I don't see the same style captured in that. And I wouldn't be able to identify what it is or what about the story she's telling in it. Um, it just didn't seem the same to me. Uh, definitely, it was a, a different take on writing in the Star Wars galaxy that if you had t- not told me it was Claudia Gray, I might not even know it was Claudia Gray who wrote yeah. it. So I don't know if that's about necessarily the style itself. Maybe it's just these particular characters, this point in time in the story, because I'm assuming she's writing another book, too. Like she'll have her kind of sequel um, novel to this. Um, So I expect that maybe that next one I might like more so. Uh, But I can't I don't know if it's a stylistic thing. I can't, you know pinpoint anything you guys talked about pov from my perspective my pov i'm not really seeing anything um but maybe yeah maybe it is about how claudia just wrote this one yeah i mean one one notable um absence from this book that that is kind of different from her other books is there's not a real um central romance in this story, you know, they she tries to mm. kind of you know put the the nan in the in the wreath thing together, but it's not really a a, a romance, you know, which is a, a far departure from her other stories that we've that we've read. You know, there's a really um, uh, centralized romance story going on within the plot. You know, whether it be um, Leia and uh, it, it, what's his name from Bloodlines. Um, I, I can't remember, but I can't remember his name, but I know. And then, you know, yeah. from the, in, in the, um, 
you know, it's, it's the other, it, it doesn't matter right now, but there are, you know, that, that story. And that's one thing that I saw as a notable difference from this book. Um, and I don't know that it's necessarily a, a good or a bad thing, but it's, it, it definitely departed from her um, normal writing, you know, um, from what I saw there. So, um, but anyway, speaking of which, uh, let's, let's dig into some of these characters. Um, so as, as Ted mentioned, you know, the, I, I, I feel like, I connected to these characters a little better than I did the characters in Light of the Jedi just because it was more intimate. It was more, um, it, it didn't jump around as much as, it, it, you know, it, given my critique of the, the POV, there was still a, a, a pretty linear story happening throughout this, you know, and so it, we were able to connect to the, 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 the main characters uh, throughout this entire book. Um, so the the main characters we have are you know some of the so the Jedi we we see are Wreath Silas, um, Co- uh, Master Comac, uh, Orla, and Dez, and I really like these Jedi um, and and really all of the Jedi in the High Republic era. I think it's so refreshing from what we've seen in the other eras of Star Wars. Um, they really. Uh, make sure that you know that this is a different Jedi Order, um, you know, than what we're than what we've seen um, in. I don't know if I should say past or future iterations of the Jedi, um, but from the the ones that we've seen already, you know. Um, so, what what do you guys think of these these Jedi and um, you know any 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 particulars of the the characters themselves? Um. Well, Reese Silas, I, I kind of like that he's described as sort of unremarkable as far as his ability yeah. with the Force, but more of a student of the Jedi and the Force. And uh, he's he wants to be an archivist, so that's a, a departure from other uh, characters we see in some of these stories where he kind of seems like he's very comfortable on Coruscant, at home, doing his thing. And, you know, he's not a coward, but he's also just kind of a creature of comfort and does not want to go beyond the scope of the things that he's become familiar with. Um, Comac was really interesting to me because he gives me kind of Qui-Gon Jinn vibes in a certain sense. Totally. Um, He's not quite Qui-Gon Jinn because I think Qui-Gon is more on the nose with his desire to kind of branch off in different ways from the teachings of the Jedi and what they do and what they practice. Comac, you can just feel everything surging within him. Like, why do we do this this way? Why has this been done this way so long? And why can't we bend a little bit? Why can't we feel anything? What are these things that are keeping the Jedi from expanding their learning? Uh, so he's really interesting from that standpoint. Um, Orla was less interesting to me, I think, than any of them, uh, just because she she has a fairly small arc, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that later. Her arc uh, more pertains to that uh, kind of side story, that 25 years in the past story. Wasn't a big fan of her. And then... Uh, Des was kind of interesting too because he seems like uh, I don't know like the popular guy. He's uh, he's very likable. Everybody wants to be around him. He's very gifted. Um, 
And he just seems like the kind of Jedi that can do no wrong, essentially, like very well-rounded Jedi that everybody wants to be around and everybody wants to be like. So they had a nice mix of different personalities that I really enjoyed in this. Definitely. Yeah, I think I, I can get by all of these Jedi. Like I can follow their stories, even Orza, like, or yeah, Orza. Or, Orla. Is that how it's? Orla. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, the character, I think we just don't get like enough of her. And really where I think her the true character development comes through actually is in the, the subplot C, which is all forgettable. So like you take this character who she does some of the coolest things, I think, in subplot C, um, but you don't really get that in the main storyline with her. So I think it's hard to maybe make that, that connection with the character. But I think... Um, all the other uh, is like, especially Wreath. He's the character I identify the most with when I'm reading this one. Creature of habit, likes to study, like those types of things. I seen a, a Jedi. I go, oh, that's like the kind of Jedi maybe that I would be. I might not be good at the Force, but I would be definitely the one that would be willing to pick up the book and get into the Jedi archives and all of those things. Um, so I can see him, and then Master Comac too. I like the Qui Gon Jin comparison. I think we're gonna get more of that. I don't think we're done with it. I, this was like the introduction to Qui-Gon. Um, and then they offed Qui-Gon in the first movie. In this instance, uh, spoiler, we get Comac through the end of this book. Um, and we're probably going to see more of him. And I think we're going to try to like dance around those same questions or things that Qui-Gon was doing 200 years later um, to deal with the issues of the Jedi. Like we're going to start seeing things and it's talked about like later on his kind of interest in the dark side. And I think that's going to be a really important thing going forward. Ultimately, probably the thing that will lead to why Qui-Gon has his questions uh, later on in the Phantom Menace. Yeah, that's a, that's a great call out. I mean, Comac kind of, it's, it seems like he kind of sets the seed for that kind of Qui-Gon Jinn type Jedi. Um, but, you know, even given that, I mean, we see a lot of, a lot more flexibility within this iteration of the Jedi Order than we do in the, uh, you know, the Republic era and even the, you know, the, the Rebellion era Jedi. Um, I guess it, it, it's all more the Republic era. But regardless, you know, they're not necessarily dissuaded from exploring their own paths, you know, like Orla for example, is a way seeker. Uh, she's decided to kind of part ways from the Jedi Order, at least temporarily, to figure out where she fits within the Force. Um, and to me, that's really compelling. You know, that's probably the most compelling part of her character um, in the limited exposure she gets, um, is that she is she's the one that's kind of willing to, to stick her neck out and, you know, she'll cooperate uh, with the Jedi, but She's trying to figure everything out for herself. Um, and and then Comat kind of almost takes her lead. Um, and, and, and Orla has to be the one to kind of hold him back at one point and kind of ground him a little bit more after the events that happen. You know, he's really kind of questioning where he fits in the Force, where the Jedi fit in the Force. Do the Jedi have a right to put a hard line between the light side and the dark side? Um and just, you know, these characters do a great job at exposing those types of, um, you know, uh, 
those 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 types of I don't want to say discrepancies, but uh, maybe differences, you know, be, between the the different Jedi orders. Okay, so so let's get back into uh, into our, our Jedi discussion here. Um, oh, you know, I did want to bring up um, Wreath Silas uh, before we move on because you know Wreath is kind of the you know the 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 main character. He's the he's the uh, who we follow through the story for the most part. Even though you know, I think to Claudia's credit, she does a pretty good job at at, uh, at including the other characters and, and exposing their arcs as well. But um, I'm excited to see where Wreath Silas goes after this story. Um, I think that uh, he can be a really interesting character if they decide to. Um, keep going with his with his character and, and include him as a main part of the saga um you know he had a pretty major character arc and some pretty major character growth throughout this story you know from starting from the 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 jedi who really doesn't want to leave his comfort zone um he's the he's the worker versus the natural talent and you know it, it, he ends up kind of being the hero or one of the heroes of the events that happen. Um, and, and he's just kind of thrown into the fire and he takes it, you know, um, and he, and he, and he succeeds and he excels um, under pressure, which he didn't think he could do. So I really, really like his arc and I hope they continue it. Um, Cause I found him uh, to be one of the more interesting characters uh, from this saga so far. So apart from the Jedi, we have a few other characters um, who I, I actually I love the crew of the vessel. Um, really, really fun characters. We have uh, Affy, Leox, and my favorite new character, Geode, who is basically a rock. It doesn't speak, doesn't move, but Claudia Gray does an awesome job at making him a character. But he does. He does do those things. Well, he just doesn't do them in the book. We don't ever see it happen. Maybe I, it's it's so hard to tell. She like she really toes the line of, you know, is he or isn't he? Um, so she I, Claudia does a great job at kind of towing that 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 line of like you keeping the reader guessing like. Is this just like a figment of these people's imagination? Like, are they just towing a rock around with them, or like, is he really a sentient being? Um, and and even Geode, who really doesn't do much outside, like you know, the other characters give him uh, actual character. You know, uh, otherwise he doesn't have any. He still gets an arc. It's awesome. I I just yeah. love Geode. I think he's the one of the coolest parts of this book. Uh, she does an awesome job at it. Um, and then yeah. we have you know Affy and Leox as well. But um, I'll I'll let you guys uh, uh, go off on that. Ted, you you want to jump in? Oh yeah, I, I was just gonna say you know with Geode you you think you know where it's gonna end up because it would be disappointing if it didn't. But it's just a fun game that they play where like it, it almost seems like Affy and Leox are just screwing with everybody on the ship. Like they tow this rock around and they talk to it and they say it gives them uh, coordinates and all this other stuff. And it's doing all these things and that they're having conversations with it. And it, 
Wreath is questioning the entire time whether it's real or not. And he's like, I don't feel anything in the force from yeah. this thing. And I, I just love how that it plays with it the entire time and uh, how it ends up as well. And uh, if we want to talk about Affy and Leox, they're great characters themselves. Uh, Affy has quite the arc, which I really enjoy, uh, yeah. where she finds out a lot about her uh, family, uh, her birth parents. She finds out a lot about uh, Scover Bine, who runs the Bine Guild, who is her foster parent, and uh, how those two things intersect, both her parents' uh, deaths and Scover. But on top of that, the empathy that she ends up showing toward different people, um, the growth that she has, and the quick turnaround from one possible resolution to her arc to the one that ends up being the right one in the very end. I, I really enjoyed how, like, even though it is kind of jarring, I enjoyed that it just goes immediately from one to the other. It's like, good. I was almost going to be disappointed if you went with the thing you were thinking about at first. And then Leox doesn't really have an arc. But he's just a fun character uh, who's always there, very supportive of everybody. He seems super woke, which is pretty fun. Uh, he, he seems like down for pretty much anything. Uh, he's androgynous, which is really interesting. And, you know, he enjoys the occasional spice stick. What's the big deal? <laughs> he's a chill dude. If you could characterize him into anybody, and like both between the voice and the way he looks, I think you guys would agree. It's like Matthew McConaughey from Days and Confused, except not creepy toward young girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, yeah. the opposite. He, he, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's he's androgynous. So, yeah, <laughs> it, absolutely. Uh, and androgynous and celibate. And uh, that's great. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he's androgynous or celibate, actually. I think he more would be identify as like a demisexual or, or asexual. asexual for his sexual mm. preference. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that's fair. I don't think they talk about his gender identity at all um, within it, yeah. but definitely like probably like the most woke character we've gotten in like we, we've introduced it homosexual characters before in Star Wars. This is the first time we had someone who was not on that typical uh, what the expected spectrum is um, someone more like that. And then his just like whole philosophy on everything. So he's probably my favorite character we've had in Star Wars in a very long time. I can't wait to see more of him uh, because this was like the introduction. Like, yes, he doesn't really have character growth because his purpose is more to serve as like the mentor um, wisdom figure gets them where they need to go because he's the, the captain of the ship, right? Kind of fills almost in a lot of ways like a Han Solo type role too where although he doesn't have the same character development, he's there to serve a purpose for the other characters so that they can have their development. The other characters, um, I'm blanking on her name again, uh, Affy. Yeah, she, I, I like her a lot. I like how her story opens up the High Republic era to what the guilds are doing, what these other sorts of people, not the Jedi, um, not the, obviously not Sith, not Nihil, not the bad guys, but like the everyday people, like the people with jobs and who like are working. As it turns out, it's more than that. We get to talk about indentured servitude. We get to talk about slavery in the Star Wars galaxy. And we know the consequences because in the future, when we get to 
the um, the Phantom Menace, we meet two slaves, Shmi Skywalker and Anakin Skywalker. Though we know, like, the consequences of what Affy's doing right now aren't going to lead to better things. In fact, we know that slavery is going to continue to exist in the galaxy. Uh, I like that. Geode, I hated it. I you did? absolutely hated it. No. Up until the You're big moment. my heart. No, no. So I, I get there. I get there at the end, but I could not stand. Anytime it got brought up, I was like, this stupid rock. I don't care if it's sentient or not. Like, why do we keep doing this? It's not funny anymore. It's just <laughs> yes, it annoying that we yes, keep it, it keeps getting brought up. But there's a moment where it's like, yeah, he's definitely sentient and it comes all together is when he saves, um, you know, Wreath uh, from death. Yeah. And so like, that was the redeeming moment. I was like, thank you. Thank you for actually doing something with this and not ever serving this plot. Like this was going to be not a plot hole, but just like a dumb thing that got referenced and never really addressed. Claudia Gray, you know, shoots it out of the park with getting this not real character to save the main character. So like totally redeemed at the end. But during all the build up to it, I was like, what the fuck this thing again? Like, <laughs> Here we I, go. Dude, I couldn't disagree more. I loved it. Like even to yeah, like, I like the, the running joke. Towards towards the end of the book, you know, like I I remember what, you know, Leox said something and um you know, he was like, but but Geo gave him a break and it would be the only break that he would get. You know, like it's just I I loved it. I thought it was so funny cuz like it just it's just a play on he's a, he's a rock. He's a freaking rock. And that's it. You know, but uh, like you said, you know, it came to fruition at the end when it just it made it all even better. So good. Um, Yeah. Just to touch on the uh, the other two characters real quick from my perspective. Uh, I loved Affy. Um, I I thought her character was really cool. Uh, I thought that her resolution, um, you know, and, and kind of the the conscience play that she had to go through, you know, from figuring out what the bind guilds involvement with this station that they end up on is when she figures it out, she has to debate on whether she's what she's going to do because she knows it's not right. Um, And, you know, Ted, to your point, you know, we see that, that real conflict, you know, right up until the end, you know, what's going to happen with this bind guild and she makes the right choice. Um, So I, I really liked her. Her motivation was super clear the whole time. Um, and, uh, and, and really, she, I, I think she was just there to expose that, you know, into, to kind of world build a little bit to your point, Andy, you know, and, and, and involve the rest of the galaxy, especially, you know, in the, in the, the frontier and the outer rim, kind of what they're doing, um, in this kind of new part of the galaxy at this point in time. Um, so that was really neat. Uh, Leox is definitely one of my, one of my favorite characters that, uh, that has been brought into this universe now. I mean, he's just so chill and i think he he enjoys a little more than the occasional spice stick ted but um you know he's uh he's just so cool and chill and and i just i love him there's really he just he's just there to serve a purpose too but um great crew man i love the crew of the vessel i thought they were such a great uh addition to this book well Um, i think you're leaving out something there yeah the vessel the vessel is the vessel yeah yeah it's a character um, the vessel is the name of the ship, and that's something like in Star Wars too. You, you get the Millennium Falcon; it's its yeah. own character. We learn in a whole movie that it's got a droid named L three. That's you know part of the computer that actually makes it a character. 
Um, but I like that the vessel is a thing. Like, you know, Affy and um, Leox, they really care about this ship in particular. You know, it's not the best ship that the guild owns by any means. In fact, it's like this tiny little freighter thing that when we're, our Jedi are first introduced to it, like, this is the ship that we're going, you know, to the place in. And um, they're like, oh, okay, I guess we're, we're riding in this thing. But it's like, a, it's a character uh, that exists. And I, I can't wait till we reintroduce it, you know, in later books and be like, oh, yeah, that's the vessel, you know, off doing its thing. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really hope that they do, you know, use these characters in a more effective way in the future. Um, you know, including the vessel. You know, I think that they they've set this up for a reason, and I and I expect them to continue it. But um, I I really hope that they use it effectively. Yeah, I can see some offshoot stories with just this crew doing their own thing outside of involvement with the Jedi. But uh, just really quickly, I like that they essentially named the vessel the the equivalent of Bodie McVote, Bodie McVote face. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, just yeah. right on the nose. It's a vessel. Calling it vessel. Love it. <laughs> it is awesome. Um, cool. So you know, there's there's a couple other characters that we can just briefly touch on. Uh, Nan and Hag um, are the are the kind of the the uh, other characters that get introduced and I don't want to spend too much time on them because I'm sure we'll get into it during our plot discussion. Um, but, uh, you know, Nan is, um, you know, a young girl, uh, younger than Reith, Silas, uh, and Affy who are around the same age. Um, and, uh, they're the ones that kind of, uh, they're, we find out more malicious intent from these two as the story goes on. Um, you know, they, they end up being a bit of a uh, antagonist um, throughout this story, even though they're kind of initially set up as just another companion. Um, so it was kind of cool to see their growth. Um, and we learn a little bit more about the Nihil through Nan um, and, and, and to a lesser extent, Hag as well. Um, and I, again, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but anything of note from you guys on these two? Not really. Uh, I, oh, go ahead, Ted. I was just going to say, I think we'll get into it as uh, the plot discussion goes, because uh, like you said, we, we find out some things about them. And I think going chronologically with that would probably make more sense. But I don't know if Andy has anything. Well, I'm just going to say that, like, I saw it coming. These characters, the reveal here yeah. um, of what's going to happen with them. And I'll say this is like a weakness potentially going forward, because this is twice now where I figured out who the baddie was in their introduction um, with Marcian Rowe in the last book, uh, the person over the speaker um, who was like saying that like, Oh, you know, go help these people out. I was like, that's Marcian Rowe. Like he's setting this up. He's mm -hmm. getting them to you know fall for his plan. It's like the introduction of Nan. They're talking about her ship, right? And what it looks like. And the way they're exactly. describing it is like a Nihil ship. And I'm like, okay, so they're Nihil. And they're just like, hiding amongst them to not get you know caught or get intel or something right uh to to service the nihil story and so uh, sure enough when it was revealed i was like okay yeah like i saw that coming so i hope that this isn't a continuing trend where they're just very obvious kind of uh, reveals or twists um within these stories uh, but we'll talk about it uh, when we get into the plot stuff so i'll save it for then yeah. I will say really quickly that uh, the reveal of Martian Rowe being the person on the comm is more of an audiobook problem 
where they made the decision to use a certain cadence and certain voice that matched his, and that's why it's obvious. I think if you're reading it, you probably don't have a clue unless you're just thinking way ahead and thinking, is this guy the type that's going to have all these different strings being pulled at the same time? Uh, But I do agree with the one in this one. Yeah, good point, Ted. I didn't even like think of the audiobook factor there. That's what we talked about the last time, too. Um, but this is nothing to do with the audiobook. It's literally the, you know, what's happening on the page yeah. they're telling you right there. Yeah, it is. It, but, you know, I don't think it's necessarily, it has to be hidden. You know, I don't, I don't, th- I think that there's intentional details that Claudia gives you to lead you to the inevitable conclusion of where these characters end up. Um, so I, I understand what you're saying. Like it's, it, it was a very predictable uh, twist. Um, but again, I think that in, in the uh, wide scope of the galaxy, um, there's so much going on, especially with, you know, the, the Nihil that I don't think this necessarily has to be uh, the main, like the, the, the big Shyamalan twist that, you know, you might expect. Um, so I didn't really hate it that much because um, I, I felt the same way. I was like, oh, if, if, of course, these are these are Nihil. Um, but I didn't I didn't dislike it. You know, I didn't like I didn't mm-hmm. dislike that fact. Um, so anyway, yeah, we well, let's let's get into this plot discussion. There's 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 one more kind of group of characters that I want to bring up. But, you know, we'll kind of save that because there's not a, a ton to go over with them either. And that is the Drengir, um, who are the kind of the new um I don't even know how to describe them. Uh, we'll 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 talk about the Drengir. Um, really interesting, a very intriguing uh, group of group of characters that we see. Um, okay, so so let's 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 get into the plot details. We'll kind of go over some of the more important things that happened within this book, and um, you know the the consequential you know if, uh, things that, that come out of it. Right, so we described Reith Silas as this kind of scholarly Padawan. Um, you know, he he wants to become an archivist, um, and we we actually get introduced to him um, and his master Joramali fighting some pirate gang. Um, you know, not super important. I don't really remember what happens there, but that's kind of how we get introduced to him. So it's it's it was interesting to see that you know, right after that, he's like, I don't want to leave the library. <laughs> you know, he's like, he just got out of battle. He's like, but this, I, that, that sucked. I want to, I want to research, you know? So that was kind of funny to me. Um, but what happens is, you know, Reith is informed that Joramali took a post on Starlight Beacon, which we know is the new, uh, you know, space station in the in the Outer Rim. Um, and, and again, this is all happening kind of in tandem with Light of the Jedi. So, like, we already knew that that was going on. Um, but this is where Reith actually comes in and he's like... He's horrified. He doesn't want to go. Um, he, the the last thing he wants to do is leave the archives with all of his resource materials um, and and go to the you know the outer rim, which he has no idea what goes on out there. You know, he just doesn't want to leave his comfort zone. So he actually ends up. Uh, you know, Joramali leaves for you know there, there's some stuff that happens in there, but Joramali leaves for the Starlight Beacon, and Wreath uh, stays behind to finish something up, and then he gets kind of his own transport to Starlight Beacon to follow her. Um, and this is where we meet um, Des Ryden, 
Orla, Orla Jereni and Comac Vitus. They're, these are all Jedi that are trans uh, that are that are going with him um, to the Starlight Beacon for one reason or another. Um, you know, I think they all have kind of their own uh, reasons to go. Um, you know, Orla is actually a, a way seeker. She wasn't really told to go there. She, that's just where she decided she wants to go, right? Um, but they're, when, when they go to the docks to get their transport, their original transport broke down, so they have to find this freelance transport ship, uh, which is when we're introduced to the vessel. So really, right up front, we're kind of introduced to all of our main characters um, you know, within a very short amount of time, which is kind of nice because that, that gives us a lot of time to get to know everybody. Um, so oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say one of my favorite parts about like the sequence you're describing is all of this is taking place on Coruscant, right? Yeah. We are getting a great description of what Coruscant is like, which in some ways is kind of sad that we didn't get more of this in the prequel trilogy. You get this in the clone wars for sure, but talking about like movies and other media, like this is the kind of cool stuff you get to see like what's happening actually in the Jedi temple, what's happening on the streets of Coruscant as they're, you know, chasing down the pirates at the beginning. And then later on going to the docks and like, just seeing all of this busyness happen. Like you get a little bit of that in the prequel trilogy. You get a lot of it in the clone wars. And I'm glad we're getting it in this book series, in particular this book, because Coruscant is a cool place. It's a city planet, you know, the Jedi temples there. That's where the Senate is for the galaxy. So like, there are a lot of things that I'm interested in Star Wars that take place on this planet, so it's cool that we we get it more fleshed out in this era in this book. Agreed. Yeah, it is really cool. Um, you know, it, I I actually would have liked some a little bit more exposition of the the planet um, itself. You know, we we do get some exposition from these characters, but um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, Coruscant is it's pretty cool. Like it's like the you know the the New York of you know, New yeah. York City of of the of the galaxy, and uh, you you get a little bit of that. So good call out, good call out. Um, but so the at the docks on Coruscant, they find this free freelance starship called the Vessel um, of the Bind Guild. Uh, again, that's where we we're introduced to Leox, Affy, and Geode. Um, and Leox is the uh, the captain of this starship. Um, and he basically tells them like, "Well, you're not going to find anybody else, so it's either us or." Or you stay here. Um, and the Jedi are like, okay, I guess we're going on the vessel to Starlight Beacon. Um, and so they take off. And this is when, so they're, they're going through hyperspace. And lo and behold, they run into, uh, you know, some debris from the, the, from the legacy run. Um, you know, that this is the event that kind of throws the universe into chaos. Um, and this is just another, um, you know, another uh, part of, of the galaxy that we see this happening in. Um, so their journey comes to an abrupt halt. Um, they get, you know, kind of like grazed by a piece of debris and they have to drop out of hyperspace and they drop out of hyperspace in this, you know, kind of deep space, um, you know, kind of middle of nowhere. Uh, there's no planets around um, and uh, and hyperspace has been, closed down like all the hyperlanes are, are closed you know to avoid anybody else getting hit um and so they they're stranded um you know the 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 vessel along with some other ships in the area um are stranded um and so which we learn 
it is a result yeah. of all of the ships having the same coordinate pre-programmed into the ship to to go to this location. Yeah, touch on that a little bit because that that is kind of interesting. Yeah, the so what happens is that the the legacy run event occurs and there's debris in hyperspace. So what ends up happening is the ship needs to get out of hyperspace someplace, like the the nearest exit essentially, and the coordinates that the is already in the system for some reason. And then uh, Leox is confused by that. Like, why are these, or it might've been Affy uh, or Affy was confused um, why the coordinates were there. But in any event, they just realized, oh, there's all of these already preset coordinates. And lo and behold, like you just said, Zach, there are other ships here too. And they all appear to be either a part of the buying guild or um, as we'll learn, there are some other ships there that shouldn't have been there probably right. or lucky to have been there. Right. Yeah, so they so they all are kind of stranded here, and um, you know they they actually find out that there are other ships there because they they pick up you know a, a beacon signal, um, and it happens to be a signal from uh, I don't know the name of their ship, but the the ship of Nan and Haig, um, who we who we touched on a little earlier, and so they're they're kind of all like all right, what what do we do? How do we where do we go? Um, and Leox finds out that there's the, in the system, the the system star is dying, um, and so they're about to be hit with a solar flare, and they have to find refuge. Otherwise, they're all of those ships are toast. Um, so uh, they he widens the scope a little bit. He finds this this space station, um, and they, you know, after some some maneuvering, um, they get all of the ships onto the space station just in time to avoid any damage from. The flare. So again, they they uh, they hear that the hyperspace routes have been shut down. They're going to be stranded, um, and uh, now they they actually, luckily, they they find refuge on this space station um, to kind of wait it out. Um, but on this space station, God, uh, some stuff happens. Um, this is this is where really the meat of everything goes down. I mean, these events um, are are really important um, for probably a lot of the future stories that we'll hear in this series. But um, so let's see. So the 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 crew is kind of debating on on what to do. You know, you know. Actually, let's skip that. So they they get to the ship, right? They get to the space station. Everybody's on there. And let's talk about what they find on the space station. So the first thing they noticed is that, well, Wreath actually points out that there's a lot of a Maxine warrior um, stuff. You know, he, he kind of realizes this is a space station built by the Maxines, who we previously see in other Claudia Gray content. Um, I think Bloodlines is uh, where she introduces the, the Maxine warriors. Um, I believe so. Yeah, and and they're like these these intense warrior people um, that um, you know the, the, that's just like their their culture, you know, is 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 war essentially, um, and so th- that's going to be important for for later. Um, but really interesting that she, you know, just Claudia Graver she brings it in every time. She's she's gonna she's gonna find a way to get her stuff in there, and uh, I, I love that. Um, 
And uh, this space station is just abundant with plant life. Um, there's vines everywhere on the station. Um, and it's actually, they're all maintained by these 8T gardening droids. Um, and and the station looks abandoned, but there's still power. You know, it, there's, there's still clearly um, life going on in the station, even though there's nobody there. Um, so... Uh, Supposedly, we, there's nobody there. So right, supposedly, right, um, seemingly self-sustaining is what they mention with these eight T droids, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Like they're the, the these droids are kind of the servants of this plant life that and it seems to be going. abandoned. At least we think, like mm-hmm. Andy's saying. Yep. Exactly. Uh, did anyone else think of like um, Wally with like shearing yes. clippers on? their hands like that's all i could picture yeah. in my head this entire time it was like little wally droids running around with shearing clippers just <laughs> well i i was picturing the the eva droid like that's just like what was oh, in yeah, my yeah, head yeah. Like, it's got to be like this like floating one. you know floating little gardening droid um, yeah the kind of like medium-sized floating and just very focused on its task and that's it uh-huh exactly yep. yeah. Yeah, really interesting. I the AT droids are actually kind of cool. You know, we'll, we'll we'll touch on what they do a little bit later. Um, but uh, but anyway, so yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that we find out about this ship. You know, uh, one other thing um, that to to point out is that uh, you know Affy's really interested in this stuff. She she kind of you know because of the Bind Guild uh, implications that have already gone on with these other ships you know she actually starts to notice like all there's there's handwritten symbols all over the place which is highly unusual to have actual handwriting um in this era you know i think uh, Comac even mentions like i don't know the last time i've actually written anything down um you know it's all on the computer um, so that kind of piques Affy's interest, and she actually notices that there was a logo, the logo of the Bind Guild, um, in you know on, on I don't know I don't remember exactly where it was, but she noticed like this the the Bind Guild, and she, so that's another implication um, of the Bind Guild on this station, um, which is not great <laughs> um you know for what we see in the future um and in the bind guild is 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 her guild that's run by her kind of adoptive mother um you know her her biological parents passed away and uh scovar bind uh, is the leader of the guild and she kind of takes her under her wing well and is it revealed to at this point in time like that her parents are or were a part of the guild and that they they died on a mission so that's uh, they they do get into that. I don't think it's it's right here, but um, yes, it ends up we end up finding out that her yeah her parents were part of the Bind Guild. That's more when we get into like the um, the servitude um, part of the story. Uh, we find out that her parents are actually um, uh, yeah. Well, I think that happens. Yeah, that definitely happens later. But I think like we know that like her parents at this point were like members of the guild. Like that's why and the reason why she is the kind of like adopted child now of um what's her name is that the fact that like because her parents died as part of the guild like she kind of just adopted her i think they just that yes that's definitely part of it but i also think they just kind of had this 
this connection even prior to her parents dying. You know, um, Afi and, and Skovar kind of always had this rapport, um, at least according to Leox. You know, um, Leox kind of mentions like that, that she's kind of her pet, you know, um, and always has been. Um, so she has this, this obviously, you know, very uh, strong connection to the Bind Guild. And, she, and by seeing all of this stuff, you know, it's it's really it starts to concern her. You know, uh, what is the Bind Guild? What does the Bind Guild have to do with this station? She didn't know about it. And being, you know, the the Bind Guild leader's daughter, she would think, I you know, I know everything about the Bind Guild. What is she hiding? You know, and that becomes a major problem going forward. And she tells that she'll, she'll make sure she asks asks Scover about it when she gets back. So exactly, yeah, she's yeah, going to confront. Got to have her this about conversation. It. Yeah, yep. she's going to yeah. confront her it, about it. And at least at this point, she doesn't suspect anything from Scover. Mm-hmm. She suspects more from others in the Bind Guild, maybe potentially planning things against Scover behind her back. Yep, she's thinking there's no way Scover would be part Good of any call. of this yep. at the station. Like like you said that uh, if. It involves the Bind Guild, then Affy would probably know about it, and therefore Scover would know about it too. So uh, she's skeptical that Scover is involved at first. Yeah, great call out. Um, yeah, she she thinks that yeah people are going behind her back about it. Yep. Um, so there's some other things that we see too. Is um, you know uh, going over to the Jedi portion of things. Ol- um, Orla and Comac find these statues. Um, and they sense the dark side, uh, very prevalent on the station, and they kind of assume that it's coming from these statues. Um, and you know, as they're investigating a little bit, they actually both get pulled into a force vision. Um, and Comac is is sure that this is a warning from the station, from something on the station. Presumably, these statues are idols that they're investigating. Um, that you know, they're, it's kind of warning them to stay away sort of thing, you know? Um, and we see a lot of that. There's a lot of like heady Jedi stuff that goes on on this station, um, in terms of, you know, flashbacks and, and visions, um, really interesting stuff. So as, as they kind of settle on into the station, um, there's a little bit of a problem between, uh, one of the other ships. Um, I think it's, is it the Mizzy? Uh, that there's like these looters from the Mizzy people. You guys remember the the Mizzy guys? I remember the Mizzy. I don't think they were a problem. I think it was another ship that ended up being a problem. Uh, I I think the Mizzy was just uh, one of the people that was along with uh, Nan and Wreath when they go to investigate at the beginning. Right, that's uh, right, yep. Speaking of the the issues with the other ships, uh, that some refugees from one of the ships decide to kidnap Nan, right? Uh, seemingly to use in some way or to sell into slavery. Uh, they seem to think uh, to be used for personal uses because uh, she's a young girl. I'm sure you can guess what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but she ends up getting saved by uh wreath who ends up cutting off the kidnapper's arm, uh, which is, you know, classic star Wars. You, you can't have a star Wars story without somebody's limb getting severed by a lightsaber. So, but that's that a really nice. big moment for him too. Cause like yeah. he really struggles with like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to fight these guys, but this is the only way 
to save Nan. You know, he really struggles with actually pulling the trigger. Right. Right. He is able to rationalize it, though, uh, going back to uh, one of the things that happens in this book a lot, by the way, is uh, he goes back to conversations he's had with his master, uh, Joramali, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the lessons he's learned from her. And he kind of falls back on those when he does have doubt. Uh, in this instance, uh, you know, she talks about we do not seek out violence, but we use it to uh, protect others if need be or protect ourselves if we are being attacked. So in this instance, he's able to rationalize, I don't like this, but somebody was being attacked and kidnapped, and this was the only way. I had to attack this guy because the guy ended up actually like challenging him, saying, you know, you don't have the nerve. I'm just going to take her. And, you know, he did show that he had the nerve and that he could do what he needed to do in that instance. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's one of many examples that um, in, in Reith's character growth that he is starting to step out of his comfort zone and has the ability to, um, you know, do more than he thinks he does, um, which is kind of cool. So uh, after that part, I don't know if it's after, but somewhere somewhere around that part. Um, it is after that part, actually. But Des and Affy and Reith and uh, and Nan, and this is the the Mizzy, the other you know, one of the Mizzy guys uh, goes to scout the uh, the lower levels of the station. Um, and during their expedition, uh, Affy was she, she was holding on to like one of the plant roots, and the eighty gardening droids like come after her. Like they took her as a threat, and their their sole purpose on this ship is to protect the plant life. And if they sense the threat of uh, you know uh, of the plant life, they're gonna take action. And so they 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 all get like swarmed with these eight T droids, um, and they have to you know they they have to pretty much you know, figure out how to get past them and figure out how to escape from them. Um, and in doing so. Uh, Affy gets like you know scraped by one of the thorns on the vines um, and ends up getting poisoned. Um, and so Des goes back to get the antidote from the from the vessel and and you know she ends up being okay. Um, and then Affy tells Leox um, while she's on the vessel about all the stuff that she's found about the Bind Guild. Um, and Leox tells her that you know Scovar has to know about it. There's nothing that the Bind Guild does. That Scovar doesn't know about, and Affy's not happy with that answer. She she is convinced that the Bind Guild is somehow maneuvering around Scovar, and the idea that Scovar has something to do with this ship and knows about it um, is extremely upsetting to her um, because she holds her in such high regard. Um, so then, uh, Orla and Comac are. So we haven't mentioned it yet, but they're they're they've been doing this kind of back and forth in the they 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 went through something similar twenty five years ago. Right, they were Padawans at the time. They were on a mission with their masters, um, and I think we've all agreed at this point. I mean, maybe we've already talked about it, but it's a pretty unremarkable flashback um, for the most part. So that's why we really haven't mentioned it yet, but they do reminisce on it pretty often. Um, and so they're they're talking about their the the crisis that they went through 25 years ago, and then they get pulled into another force vision. 
And um, Reef actually gets pulled into this Force vision as well, where he sees um, a Jedi attacking him, a Jedi with a blue lightsaber attacking him. And, um, you know, again, this is a warning of the ship, um, but this one has some bigger implications um, on what's going to happen in the future. Um, So these Force visions are becoming more frequent, um, and they're convinced that this th- these these idols on the ship have to go like they are they are providing this space station with the the dark side of the force i will point out quickly that des is the only one that suggests that it could possibly be the plants that are imbued with the dark side but comac yeah. immediately dismisses Shoot that down. saying that nope. he's dealt with plants that have dark side ability or energy around them and this didn't feel like it so uh, just something to keep in mind as we go forward. Well, and and the key there too is it's sentience. So like he like sentient plants. Like he's he's met them before, but like what doesn't like work like this? Dark side plants. Nope. It's like they're just imbued with the dark side. They're not a thinking thing. So like those two things can't be going together because this is sentient. He feels it as like a a thing. Like so they're as if they're being watched. There's something observing them. Uh, and we're going to find out what that is a li- little later on. That Daz is right. It is the plant. It's a specific type of plant, the Drengear. So exactly, exactly, right. yeah. Which it, it, I'm I'm excited to talk about. So let let let's get to that uh, soon. But before that, um, so they Des also brings up that they need to they need to find out what is on the lower levels like they didn't make it very far the last time but des is like there's got to be something else like we've we've we have to go see what's up in the lower levels so they uh they they form a party same party as last time but this time they have to figure out like how they're going to get past the um eight t droids and wreath decides wreath you know discovers that they if they hold these potted plants um they won't be mistaken as a threat i don't know exactly the logic here <laughs> i thought this is a kind of a weird mechanic um of how to get through the eight t droids i don't know if you guys want to want to jump in on that but i thought this is kind of a weird sequence to be honest yeah i guess the thought was that well if we hold the plants they won't think we're a threat to the plants they'll think we're plants but then there's the possible implication that doesn't end up happening, but like, what if they just decide that those plants need pruning in that moment? Uh, it, so yeah, it, it didn't <laughs> yeah. make as much sense as uh, maybe Claudia Gray thought it did as a mechanic to get by these droids, but it's really the way that they get by the AT droids is like, hey, look, we're plants. We're disguised as plants. Yeah, I got it. I don't think it's they're, dis- they're disguised as plants. The, the idea that they're holding these... And that if something were to happen to them, then something would happen to the plants. So, like, they're kind of using as, like, a scapegoat. They can't get harmed because if we get harmed, the plants are going to get harmed. Yeah, that's that's fair. I I just when I was when I was listening to I just I couldn't wrap my head around like, okay, how does this make any sense? (laughs) Like, why are they just carrying plants around and that somehow that that gets them through this? (laughs) <laughs> these freaking star plants. wars and their MacGuffins. now we got plants hanging around these necks bring back george lucas he wouldn't have done these things <laughs> yeah right oh my god it, it was it was a strange sequence for me but um 
but pretty small in the grand scheme of things. So, um, you know, so with these plants, they 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 successfully navigate through the the eight T droids, and in, in the the party splits up uh, when they get to the lower levels. So, um, Affy pretty much is just like on her own. She's just doing her own research. She's like she's now on a mission to find out what the Bind Guild has to do with this station. Like that's her only motivation through this whole thing. And so she um, does some more searching and she actually, this is uh, Andy where she is, uh, she finds out that her biological parents um, were here. They, there's a, there's yeah. a reference to their parent, her parents ship on this. Um, I, I don't even know where it was, but she, she finds a reference to her parent ship, um, which makes her even more upset. She's like, okay, so, so now my parents were here. There's Bind Guild stuff all over the place. Everything's just adding up um, to not not a good outcome for the Bind Guild um, in, in Affy's eyes. Um, and uh, then, so that's one part, the one part of the party. The other part of the party is Wreath and Dez. Um, and this is not a good part of the story. Um, Wreath and Dez go down. They find these, these rings. Um, and Dez essentially is like, He's like swept up in this like rotating bookcase that like brings him into the pod. Like I, all I could think about was like Clue. And then, like, mm-hmm. It's like this secret door that just like flips him around, and now he's in this this um, you know, this place. Wreath can't see anything other than these super bright lights, and then Des is gone, um, and it, he is presumed dead. Um, because once it, once Wreath can see, he sees that there are helix rings um, in there. And the helix rings are essentially, they're like these super powerful, uh, not fuel, but. Uh, they're like boosters. Uh, they're described as like energy yeah. boosters that are filled with pure coaxium, which is a reference back to Solo. And uh, he thinks that Des was disintegrated by these because they're. Right. I guess they superheat and then launch pods out of these tunnels. Right. Well, and they're like super well, we'll risky to use. Yeah. Right. We'll, we'll learn that later. Yeah. But yeah, we, all we see are helix rings. So he's like, well, Des was in here and these helix rings were used. So he's thinking that Des stumbled into this tunnel and was disintegrated, being mistaken right. for an escape pod, essentially. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's and what like, I thought, too. Like yeah. I'm, I'm when they this was so good on them for later on coming up with a, a twist for this and and doing something with it because like Claudia fooled me I thought instantly wow that's some serious weight because we know that they lose their master um, now Wreath uh, sees that his master's former Padawan um, who was this awesome Jedi knight. He's now dead. Like, wow. Okay, we just made the stakes real, real quick here, Claudia. Good job. Yeah, yeah some major loss. And and actually, Anna, you bring up a good point because uh, you know to this point, you know, there's there was a couple flashbacks from 25 years ago, and we do find out that um, you know Orla and Comac both lost their masters um, in in similar situation um, 25 years ago, and and Comac is struggling with 
still the acceptance of that. Like he thought that he had to protect his master. He was the one, the responsible inevitably for his death and he still hasn't gotten over it. And so the events that are happening now are kind of bringing it all back to him. And he's, he's really struggling with the acceptance of that, which is traditionally un-Jedi like, right? Like you're supposed to be able to kind of let go of those uh, attachments but in his head, he's like, well, why should I? Like, I was mm-hmm. supposed to... The, 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 my master is the most important thing to me, and the, intentionally so, and I lost it, and the Jedi are expecting me to just get over it. Like, not, like nothing happened. Um, so, really, I do actually, want to say something. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just want to say something critical about this, though. Like, you just outlined, like, why it has all this weight and the importance of it. But in terms of execution of this, like, do you remember how the master dies in the uh, in subplot C? Uh, Andy, I don't remember anything from okay. subplot C. You're going to have to remind me, too. The ma- I forget the master Jedi's name, but the way that they die is that they're a species that, like, they don't have, like, some, like, oh, shoulder. No. I don't remember how they're describing it. Because the thing is supposed to be wearing a seatbelt a certain way. Oh, that's and right. They yeah. decide not to wear the seatbelt. And um, Comac's like, this is the one time I didn't tell my master <laughs> yeah. to wear his seatbelt the right way. Like, <laughs> what? <That's>, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is that even about? Like, <laughs> this is the, we couldn't like, think of anything a little more clever than not wearing your seatbelt appropriately. That's the lesson Claudia's given the kids. Kids, wear your seatbelt or else you're going to, you know, you're going to die. Yeah, she watched one too many crash test dummy videos growing up. <laughs> it was like that's the thing about that like the that those flashbacks and the, the supposedly the parallels from what's happening now and back then which I frankly don't see to begin with, but it was just so unmemorable. Like I don't there's there's really not a whole lot that you can even draw there's you know comparisons you can draw between the two circumstances but there is supposed to be this weight and like the yeah. reason why that that exists is to give Comac uh and Orla s- some more motivation you know and 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 reason um uh, as to what's going on here so yeah i i don't know i don't, I don't that's like the that situation's a little more serious like the dude just got yeah. vaporized in right. our minds as opposed to I didn't wear my seatbelt the right way. <laughs> yeah, and and Comac is like, in what's what's interesting is like nobody really knew Des all that well, but they're all so distraught about his death. And f- fair, right? I mean, losing somebody like that is not a good thing, but you know, even you know, Affy and and Nan is described as being like you know, totally affected by this death. And Comac is just beside himself. He's like, you know, this, this young Jedi full of life, like he was, this is not how this was supposed to happen. And, and we're just supposed to be okay with it. Now he's one with the force and, you know, everything's just supposed to be okay. And he can't handle it. Um, And so that's really like the Des, the Des death or the presumed Des death is really just to give, you know, Comac a little extra, push you know towards his character growth um so anyway so after after des dies um wreath goes back to investigate what happened um and while he's there he sees nan doing the same thing right another another indication that nan is up to something that you know we don't quite know yet um 
But there are some more clues as to who Nan really is within this sequence. You know, he she she describes her story really like her she says that her her parents died, you know, a couple years ago. Haig took her on, you know, as as his as her guardian. Um, and she, you know, respects Haig and she kind of gives like this um you know, she 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 respects Haig for not being able to defend himself as like uh, you know, f- physically, but more is uh is strong and wit and she respects that about him and she that's why she likes him being her guardian and and wreath kind of gets the idea that okay maybe he's some sort of like military guy you know he might have some general experience um or something like that but we know eventually why he has this type of experience um and so a little more exposition about nan there and Haig, and then when they get back, we finally get the news that Supreme Chancellor has opened up uh, limited space travel and that they are guaranteed to be able to go back to Coruscant um, through hyperspace. But before they actually do that, um, the Jedi decide that they got to get those idols out of there. They are convinced that the idols are emitting dark side energy um, and they have to bring them back to Coruscant with them. And so all of the Jedi kind of like it, it, it's described, at least to me, like they kind of like envelop them in the light side of the force and they like bind them so that they can safely transport them. Um, this is kind of an interesting part. Um, you know, I, I love heady Jedi stuff and, and, and the way they did this was pretty interesting. But I will say that I don't quite understand what they did with the reveal of what these idols actually are. Do you know what I mean? Like they, it says they like bind them with the light side of the force, but they're actually already in the light side. Do you know what I mean? Right. Uh, I, I understood it as that they, they broke whatever seal the idols had on the station uh, because they thought that the, idols were emanating the dark side of the force throughout the station. Right. So they broke that connection and then also enveloped them in the light side of the force in order to safely bring them with them. Obviously we find out that maybe they didn't need to do that. And maybe there are consequences to that and maybe something got unleashed, but uh, yeah, it, it seemed more that they broke the connection that the idols had to the station more than anything, but they probably mistakenly also thought that they bound them within the light side of the force because they were so focused on their thought that the idols were emanating dark side energy rather than something else possibly doing it. Well, and I think the reveal later on too, um, which I don't know how much detail we're going to get into at that point, but I think they say something where like they realize the mistake now, why it was not working out the way that they thought it was. Like they they met the first time they tried it, it didn't work. Remember they were trying to like destroy it or something, and then they say like this is why, and it's because they were trying to like work against the literal thing that was suppressing the dark side in the first place. So it was like. You, I think in my mind, you know, when you've got two sides of a magnet, a positive and a negative, they're going to attract. But if you take a positive and positive, they're going to like repel. And that's basically what the Jedi were doing was they were like working against a force that was, you know, supposed to be helping them. And they were 
trying to push against that and it was pushing back against them that's exactly right and and that's why like i couldn't really wrap my head around what they actually executed inevitably you know with these with these guys like what did they accomplish you know like they they said that they 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 had this big you know jedi moment that you know they they were protected now from these idols apparently but what did they actually do it was kind of hard to tell um listening i did have another thought really quickly on that when we find out who had actually set up those idols and used them to suppress something Mm -hmm. uh that might have confused them as far as uh what the purpose of the idols were because it it very well could be that they were still emanating dark side energy at that point. Yeah. Um, when we find out who was responsible for them later on, uh, but also at the same time, they were suppressing something else that had energy within the dark side on top of that. So maybe they were hit with two walls of, uh, dark side energy and, Mm -hmm. uh, by canceling out one, they released another. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, that that's a good thought. just kind of a theory that's a good in my head as far as what they were thinking, too, because it, the way they felt it, it seemed like uh, the energy was emanating from the idols. So I, I wonder if the reveal of who it was that set those up uh, leads uh, me to believe, at least, that that there was something else going on, maybe another layer, almost like a firewall on top of... Uh, antivirus so to speak you know you bring up a really good point with that because you know in in almost the the next sequence i mean so we'll move on but um the so after after all this they they start going back to coruscant right they head back to coruscant um they have to go on this like one last rescue mission which i don't know is super consequential other than you know seeing where uh, like bringing back you know rescued Wookiees. Um, do you remember no, that part? No. Yeah, it was it, it's inconsequential. Yeah, it was it, really it a takes long way part. too long, and I don't think we really even need to talk about no, it. No, it was it was kind of that super weird. I don't know why that existed. Um, there, that's got to probably pay off in another book, whether it's like the like the Wookiees, like that the fact that they rescued their child, maybe they, they're going to do a favor for the Jedi later on in a future book. It's probably like one of those side things that we're going to get the reward later on. It, maybe the they'll connect material. to like Buryaga or something. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the only thing that really is consequential is uh, that Reed Silas's uh, Padawan rat tail gets uh, ripped off by a baby Wookiee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, it, it's just it, kind of funny more than anything. Like that whole sequence is just totally useless to me. But, yeah. um, but at any rate, the the reason why I wanted to just kind of breeze past that is because after that they go they they start to go back to Coruscant, and I want to jump off of what you had said, Ted. You know, when they are going back to this this play to, to Coruscant or specifically the temple, Orla says something like, you know, the the temple was these 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 temples are not created they're found right and mm-hmm. this specific temple was originally a sith temple and then the jedi kind of took it over and it became a jedi temple um and they're on top of it yeah and there are specific words that they use that i should have written down that i don't i don't know exactly but um 
it was interesting when when they said that because the um you know the, the she she felt something in the idols that they were coming home and you know we weren't sure is it are they coming home to the jedi temple or now that she mentions it is it the sith temple underneath that they're responding to um and the reveal later on we'll just get it out of the way because i think it's important now is that these the the sith were the ones that put these idols on this station to um to kind of trap the the drengear and basically in in entrap them in in and keep them dormant for was centuries i mean it seems like you know um and so really really interesting point uh, that you brought up ted with the you know the 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 underlying sith you know power like there's there's dark side power in, in a couple of or dark side you know uh, force in in a couple of layers within this station, um, which is really interesting. I don't know if you guys want to touch on that at all. Um, I mean, I don't know if I can really touch on more than what you said. I guess as far as like you were trying to come up with the names, uh, Orla mentions uh, the shrine in the depths is uh, where yeah. they brought them to, and uh, that they do mention. Uh, you know, it's been rumored that. Uh, the Jedi Temple is on top of a Sith shrine, and I think, at least to my knowledge, this is the first time that in Disney canon it's actually revealed. Or am I wrong, Andy? You're uh, yeah, now. yeah, it's definitely been talked about in okay. comics, and I, I think even in um, where do they talk about it? Maybe it's in one of the Thrawn books. It's mentioned too that like Palpatine mm-hmm. goes to do something there but it's like something in legends that was like well this would make sense as to how palpatine gains power and uh shrouds himself from the jedi but that was never mentioned but if it is that's my mistake i could be wrong but i'm i'm feeling like i i've heard this someplace before not in um legends material but like in canon where palpatine talks about going to um the temple underneath um, something that effect. It is confirmed, though, that the, the name, the Old Republic, that is when the shrine was originally there. That they do mention the Old Republic. I made sure to put that in my notes. So, like, maybe that's the one that I'm mistaking it for because I, mm. I don't think we've ever had a overall confirmation of the Old Republic. People were excited about the High Republic possibly being the Old Republic. So. We may get the Old Republic even further back than the High Republic after this entire saga is over with. All right, so let's let's get back on track here. So the gang's going back to Coruscant, um, and and each of the characters kind of goes through their own struggles back on on Coruscant, um, and basically all come to the conclusion that they have to go back to the station. Um, you know, Wreath, uh, for example, finds out that uh, Joramali died. Um, in the battle against the Nihil. Um, and he struggles with that. You know, he, he basically, he like has this, like his own diary. He's like, you know, uh, you, you drug us out. You dra- dragged us out of, out to the outer rim. You separated us and you thought this was a good thing. And then you died like, you know, and, and kind of just uh, kind of monologuing a little bit um, just on his, his, in letting his anger out, you know, um, uh, about Joramali's death, but, uh, inevitably, so he's called by the council and, um, 
you know, they the a couple of things that go on here. He's he's asked uh, kind of what he wants to do next as a Padawan, which is kind of monumental for a Padawan. Um, you know, they kind of leave the decision is in his hands. You know, when to, to when to continue his training, who to continue his training with, and and kind of what to do um, in his training. Um, this is a great juxtaposition with the future Jedi of like the. Um, the Republic era, uh, where you've got now Mace Windu, Yoda saying, no, we cannot train him. He's too old. Like, no, like Obi-Wan, you don't like, it's very much like, no, no, no. Whereas this council is like, yeah, what do you need Silas? Like more time off? Like what, what do you want to do? Like, this is like your decision to be made, not ours as the council. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're used to seeing the Jedi council as, insanely rigid um and to give a padawan that kind of freedom and and uh discretion is is very very different from what we've seen already from the jedi um and and again i've mentioned it a billion times already but it just it just furthers the claudia gray did this i think the best in this book is really furthers the the, the distance between the Jedi we see in the High Republic and the Jedi we see in the in the you know re- New Republic area. area. What what is that called? Like think, we need to refer to them I as know. like the appropriate things, but they've changed it's just them. The Republic, isn't it? I, I think it's called Republic era. Yeah, it's just the Republic era. It's just so weird. I think that's what they do in those comics that uh, that there's like a, a one off comic series that's like each different era yeah and uh a couple stories from each different era from the characters of those eras and i think they refer to it as the republic era for that series yep um but uh so where where were we (laughs) uh so the council asked him about uh the you know what he wants to do and then he also kind of asks or he's also asked kind of what happened you know on on the station, you know, and, and he was surprised that they asked him to kind of recount his experience. Um, but by doing so, he realizes that uh, Nana's a Nihil. And, uh, you know, he mistook her inquisitive, you know, her inquisitive mind as flirting with him. Like she was asking all sorts of questions about the Jedi and, you know, about him and, 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 He's like, oh well, I'm I'm the noble Jedi that's supposed to spread the word, uh, you know, about the Republic and what we can do for the Outer Rim, and so he totally obliges her, and now he realizes that he just gave away a ton of information about the Jedi to the Nihil, who can use it against them um, to to further their uh, goals in the galaxy. So that's his motivation for going back. He wants he he knows that they stayed behind on the space station. And so he wants to go back and confront them um, because he's, you know, he thinks that they're going to abuse the station um, for their capture them. Do you yeah. know, do turn them in? Cause he feels like a right. sense of justice needs to be served. Oh, right. not only that, the Nihil killed his master. So there's mm-hmm. a, not necessarily a revenge factor, but just a, Hey, your people wronged me and he, I need to do something yeah. about this. Yeah. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, there's definitely an aspect of that in there, um, which is another thing that the Jedi aren't supposed to do, but I digress. Um, then Affy uh, actually does confront Skovar about the station. Um, and she 
Scovar is like totally flipping about it. Um, but she finds out that, uh, it towards, you know, after all this conversation, she finds out that the guild indentures pilots to run missions for them. They, they basically have slaves, um, in the bind guild, um, that they, that they use to fulfill their, their goals. Um, and, uh, she, she realizes that her parents were part of that as well. And so that, that furthers her motivation. Um, and she now wants to go back to the ship to get proof to present to Skovar that the ship is, or the, the station, I should say, is dangerous. They have to stop using it. And she thinks that if she can go and get this proof that she can present it to Skovar and they'll stop. Um, and so that's her motivation to go back. And then Orla and Comac they realized that they were wrong about the idols, that the idols were not the ones that were uh, emitting dark side, though they may have been to Ted's point, um, but that wasn't, they weren't the problem. Um, They were actually keeping the dark side uh, force that they felt at bay. Uh, They still don't know what that was yet, um, but they know that they made a mistake. Um, and, and, and kind of through all of this, they all recognize the mistakes that they made, which I thought was really interesting. Like Reith realizes that he made a mistake by trusting Nan. Um, you know, Affy realizes that, uh, she's kind of currently making a mistake, um, by, you know, kind of going along with Skovar and trusting her blindly. Um, and Orla and Comac realize that their mistake was, they were not correct about their their feeling of the force. They they were kind of betrayed by their feeling of the force, um, even though they were extremely confident in uh, in in what they were doing. And so they know that they have to. Orla and Comac now realize they have to bring it back to fix what they had done. And uh, and and here we go. So we're going back to the the space station. You know, after this, like this, like it's almost like a post war sort of feeling like they're all back on the station or like they, they can't, they can't readjust to Coruscant life. And they're like, I belong on this station, you know? Um, so they all go back to the station. Um, and the Jedi, one, one thing that's kind of interesting is that the, the three Jedi left, they kind of have to like skirt around the council. Like they kind of make these, um, excuses to go to the station. You know, the council didn't explicitly say they couldn't, but they didn't explicitly say they could. Um, and they're kind of using that gray area to, as, yeah, as they're all like relying on loopholes yeah. in order to justify like, Oh, well we, I mean, they didn't say, so I guess we can go. And like, well, I'm a wayfinder. So this is like where my path leads me. Yeah. Like all the, the sorts of excuses that they can make to, do this thing they know they shouldn't be doing right yeah it's like there are three qui-gons in this moment yes yeah yeah they're they're all like they're they're now all struggling with the whether they should be totally loyal to the council and do exactly what they say or maybe there's some gray area uh and they find it so the gang's back together uh along with leox and geode and affy they, they all find their way back to the vessel and they take off so we go back to this. They, they do steal station. the idols, by the way. Uh, from oh, the good. Temple. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a good call. Uh, they have to steal it good, from the from yeah, the temple. Yeah, Comac yeah. and Reef make a plan to do so, and uh, they find out that Orla already just took them. Yeah. Uh, 
She's it, like, and, you know, we're just going to take him for research. Yeah, it pretty much. She just said she was taking them somewhere and people believed her. Yeah. They just let why her do not? It. They just let her do it. So, mm-hmm. so um, the vessel goes back and uh, they drop out of hyperspace and lo and behold, an entire Nihil storm is now orbiting the space station. Um, and so they have to like figure out how they're going to get into the space station without being detected by the Nihil. And uh, Leox is dope. And he like figures out a way to get themselves into orbit without being detected. Uh, you know, of, of course it's like, well, if we, if we, if they, they'll sense our engine signature. If we, if we boost up, um, so we're just gonna, you know, let some extra fuel out and we'll get into orbit. Um, so, so they do, so they get into orbit, uh, at the same speed and rate as the Nihil so that they won't actually see them. So the rest of the crew sneak onto the station. Reith goes back to see what happened with Dez. And, um, this is probably my, my favorite part of the book, um, is when, Wreath kind of finds out what actually happened to Des and the events following. Um, and that is that uh, he realizes that Des was sent on a one-way hyperspace pod to the Dengear, or the Drengear, excuse me. Uh, did they, I didn't write this down, did they mention where it was that he was sent by chance? No, um, and it's left ambiguous as to whether it's in a Maxine planet or if it's a Drengear planet, really all that's mentioned is that the, the Drengear say that the Amaxine were using the station in order to conquer other worlds and other peoples very easily by just uh, putting the coordinates in and uh, shooting their pods out to wherever they go and catching people by surprise. And uh, yeah, it, it's really just kind of left up to our imagination as to whether uh, they... The, the Drengear lived there or the Amaxian lived there or neither. And if the Drengear came there from the station from another place, so it's really ambiguous, but at least from what we know, the Drengear are now inhabiting this world that he's sent to. Right. Right. It, it's a good point because they actually mentioned like when, uh, when Reith mentions the Amaxians, they're like <laughs> the Amaxians. We, we 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 destroyed the Amaxines, like you yep. know, and uh, which which if you know about the Amaxines is a pretty major feat, um, which you know, kind of puts it into perspective what these Drengear are capable of, um, and uh, so l- let's talk about the Drengear a little bit because uh, we haven't really mentioned what they are, um, but um, you know, es- essentially they're sentient plant beings, um, and they are you know it's it's hard to describe kind of where their place in the force is um they 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 are certainly dark beings but are they you know towards the sith end of the spectrum it's kind of hard to say um what what do you guys think about the drengear um you know i think they're super cool characters but i want to hear from you guys well, I think they're definitely dark side. Like, there's no question, like, which side of, like, the light side versus the dark side. Surely. Remember, yeah. like, Sith and Jedi are just religions. So the Sith religion, you know, believes in that the dark side of the Force is the, the true essence or the way that you should be using the Force. So I don't think, like, the, the Drengir are going to fall into that religious narrative. They are just creatures 
of the dark side where I think they'll serve a purpose in the story is to essentially provide what the Yusan Vong were in the expanded universe. So, which is now legends material. And these were creatures from outside the galaxy. In this case, they're creatures from inside the galaxy, but from a different time, a different era, who are now being re-released into the galaxy, essentially. Uh, but the, the Yusan Vong are known for their ability to like be immune to the force. The force doesn't work on them. They have weapons that are like anti-lightsaber weapons. Um, so that's what we kind of get with the Drengir. You can chop them up, but it doesn't matter. They're just going to regenerate, grow right mm-hmm. back. Um, it, it appears, at least they're not resistant to the force, but they're emanating the dark side of the force. So this idea of like light versus dark, um, no matter how much, you know, light force you throw at them, they're going to throw back the dark force at you to like resistance. Mm-hmm. So like there's going to be some kind of dynamic probably later on when we get more, um, you know, interaction with Jedi and Drengear. And then also they seem to use like poison and ways to like manipulate uh, other creatures using uh, these poisons or intoxicants or whatever. Uh, and so we'll probably see some of that later on too, where the, what happens with Des, we'll get there in a little moment um, of being essentially brainwashed. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some kind of battle ensue between Jedi who are also brainwashed thinking that they need to kill other Jedi. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it doesn't seem like they're force users from what I've gathered, at least uh, may- maybe they don't know that they can use the force or if they can, but they definitely emanate dark side energy. They are part of the dark side uh, and they, they fall into a weird category of plant and sentient at the same time. Like it, they mentioned how jarring Reith thought it was when he saw this plant holding a blaster, uh, which was really interesting. And, and th- when you look up the concept art, and I would uh, say that people should look up concept art from these books for characters and creatures and everything, just to get an idea of what these things look like. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they look like a giant plant monster. I They kind of remind me of... Uh, Rick and Morty has these uh, kind of floating ball sack monsters that control uh, time. And uh, they kind of remind me of those. I I know you guys can (laughs) tell what I'm talking about here. Like that they're kind of like eyeless, but they're big mouths and everything like that. And uh, that's what they reminded me of when I looked them up. But they, you know, they've got vines shooting off of them, leaves, all this stuff. But they can hold a blaster, too, which is really interesting that they're a creature, but also they're a people. Yeah. Yeah. It, really intriguing uh, group. Uh, the Drengear are, you know, it's um, I'm really interested to see where the Drengear will show up next and what implication they'll have in the future. Um, but for now, what happens is, I mean, uh, t- Andy, I think you mentioned it. Um, they rely on poison to kind of brainwash their victims. Um, and that's exactly what they did to Dez. Um, you know, Dez was sent to this place and he's been kind of under their control ever since. Um, and they, they poison him to, ideally they want information from him. Um, and it, there's very little information that they actually get from him. Um, and so when, uh, when, when Reith comes into the picture, 
um, which they refer to as new meat, um, which was a little uncomfortable for, for me as well as Wreath. Um, they're, they're like, oh, he's even younger. He talks more, but he has even less information than the last one. And so they actually pit Des against Wreath and say, well, if you, let's see, let's see how you do with a lightsaber. Um, if you kill him, we'll set you free. You can go. And again, Wreath is under this, you know, this poison control and he blindly goes after him. Uh, and they, they start fighting. And this is actually the same this is the basically the vision that Reith had earlier in the book is this Jedi coming after him. Um, and uh, in the earlier vision, it's mentioned that, you know, Reith basically uh, he, he basically says that like a Jedi would never attack a Jedi, another Jedi knowingly. And he was able to kind of like in his vision, he was able to, um, uh, bring the situation down. Um, and he did a similar thing here, uh, in, in the actual scenario, he was able to kind of get to Des before he had a chance to really, you know, have it out with him. Um, though he did, they did end up like battling a little bit. It was a really cool sequence. Yeah. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it because it's another example of interesting ways that these characters in the high Republic era use the force. So, from what I gathered of the description of it, Wreath essentially like force pushed thoughts to Des through the force, uh, connecting with him over their shared master, Joramali, basically telling Des that she's dead. I just found out that she's dead. And like mm -hmm. using that moment of weakness that he gets out of Des, like it's only a moment. It's only like a flicker of Des uh, snapping out of the control where he's able to subdue him at that point. And then uh, he's trying to help Des escape off this planet from the Drengear and get back to the station. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really, really interesting sequence. And, and um, so they were able to, he was able to, um, to, to, to bring him back to the, the ship. Um, to be honest, I don't remember exactly how, they escaped. I, I, I think they, he, he went back to the Maxine control panel. Um, but it, it has a launching station there too. So they could go back and forth. Yeah. So it does so they go back to the pods that were launched to the planet and uh, escape in one of them. And then the Drengear say, well, you know, go ahead, meet, uh, leave. We're going to follow you. Right. We're going to be right behind you. Right. Which, you know, the, the solution probably would have been, now that I think of it, is like, I guess, set up both pods to go if Wreath could. But I'm sure in the heat of the moment, especially with Des passed out, you can't really uh, do that. Well, that I think time. it had to be launched from within as well, and Des probably couldn't mm. do that. Yeah, um, probably not. Now that, now that I'm remembering. Um, but but also, this this was also confirmation for the Drengear that their station, you know, that the... the everything was still there, you know, that every, yep. like they were still, they may have been dormant, but they were still there on the, on the space station. Yeah. Um, and that's the information that they want to know. Uh, yeah. Some of it, they, they do still want to know what happened to uh, some of their comrades who might be on the station, uh, which we'll find out pretty soon here. Oh, and there's some disagreement too among the Drenger. Like, why should we worry about these, you know, if, they lost essentially the battle. 
um, there. Why should we even bother? Like, what's the the point of this? Yeah, but why would we risk ourselves for those losers, essentially? Mm -hmm. But they do Mm -hmm. come to the conclusion that, well, whether or not we go there for them, we need to go there because we know this station is still operational and we can use it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and that was the same motivation that the Nihil have, is that they want to use this station basically to quickly get wherever they need to go because of the helix rings in there. Um, They can send information, they can send warriors, they can send, you know, whatever they need to anywhere in the galaxy or at least anywhere in the region within essentially within moments. Um, Which is really scary thinking about what we learn about them in light of the Jedi, as far as like their ability to show up anywhere through the hyperspace lanes with the paths that they have adding another layer to that would make them pretty much unstoppable. Right. Yeah. And, and and so if this station were to fall under control of the Nile, um, the galaxy would be in, in big trouble, in big trouble. Um, so, so that was kind of what, um, you know, the Nile were doing there. Um, so, so back on the station, um, Orla and Comac, uh, basically, they, they discover that the station is is just overrun with these Drangir now. Um, and uh, they understand that what they did set the set the Drangir free. Um, and, uh, and so now they have to figure out what they're going to do to contain them again. Um, and uh, beyond, well... I, again, this is this is something I don't really remember. What actually happened to contain them? Um, you know, what what events did did they take to put them back into a dormant state, at least for the time being? I I believe they they did the. They I'm just like remember. I, I mean, they they, they bring the idols back, and I think they release the seal that they have on them. They just they just reverse their happens. their force. Yeah, thing. and I think that ends yeah. up being easier because they're releasing the seal that they put on it rather than trying to block Should, something yeah. that they did originally. Because okay. I think it's only Orla and Comac who end up doing that part of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was just the two of them because Reith was preoccupied with Dez. Um, Dez couldn't do anything uh, right because he was still kind of under the uh the poison yeah so the drengir are now in stasis again after they do that but they have the nihil to deal with now right right so and- uh, the classic from uh lord of the rings uh out of the frying pan into the fire you know you go from one problem right into the next one yep mm-hmm. yeah and uh Affy uh, does some pretty badass maneuvers. She like she she is obsessed with this thermal detonator, and like it's the most important thing to her at this point in time. Uh, and she finally gets to use it. Um, she she like throws a detonator and distracts the Nihil, um, so that uh, you know they the, the is it the, so that the Jedi can escape to back out to the vessel. I, no, I the vessel has to come rescue them. The vessel has to come in and rescue them. Yeah. At this point, I think uh, one of the bigger ships from the Nihil storm docked at the station. Right. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. And in order to kind of, I guess, fight back against them, but preemptively, she throws the thermal detonator at the uh, airlock and tries to kill as many of them as possible. And it does kill a few of them. That's for sure. 
but uh, they just come out angry more than anything that right. somebody did that to them. Yeah, well, and then so they have to they have to get out of this ship now. So they have Des. Everything is just a mess on this on this station, um, and so they uh, they meet up with Reith again. Uh, you know, Cor- uh, Orla, Comac, and Reith kind of all meet up, and Orla and Comac are like, "You're not gonna like this, <laughs> but we've got to release the Drengear. <laughs> and uh, and so they they have to release the Drengear in order to distract the Nihil. Um, for their their crew to escape, um, and uh, they they do, but Reith kind of like goes back to make sure that the station is unusable in the future, right? He like does something with the airlock there too. Yeah, so it, this might be a little later, but he does end up going to uh, the control panel for the pods, the remaining pods, and. He just oh, yeah, enters yeah. in random coordinates and jettisons them into space. Yeah, they're all He's gone. just like, these need to go away. Hopefully they don't land anywhere where somebody can actually use these. Hopefully they just end up at the end of a hyperspace lane uh, in the middle of nowhere. So that's his hope. And I, I'm sure it probably sets up for future stories where maybe we'll one get doesn't go to the middle of nowhere. But at least he's trying everything he can. Uh, but... At the same time here, uh, we've got the Nihil attacking. So Comac and Orla, or actually Orla and Wreath, make the decision to release the Drengear again. So the Drengear attack the Nihil is the plan, at least. Right. Uh, the, some are skeptical of that. I think it's Affy who's like, well, how do we know they're going to attack them? And it's just like, we got to try something because we're not getting out of here unless we do something because the Nihil are going to kill us. So what they end up doing is first they try to reseal the idol or uh, not reseal, but take the seal off of the idols again, uh, but they fail. So what ends up happening is uh, Orla is just like, screw it, takes a blaster, blasts one of the idols, and that uh, destroys the connection between the idols and uh, the barrier that they have around the Drengear and the Drengear set free and the Drengear immediately want to attack the Jedi, of course, because they're the ones who sealed them. But I, I think uh, the Nihil end up like throwing a smoke grenade or something, and Orla either deflects it or dodges it, and it hits the Drengear, and they're pissed off, and they go to attack the Nihil at this point. But they're also uh, trying to keep the Jedi and their crew there by wrapping their vines around the vessel right. while it's docked. Uh, so while they're distracted with the Nihil, they're still using their abilities to keep them there. So it's like, you know, once we're done with these assholes, we're going to deal with you right after. Yeah. Well, and then very cleverly, um, they get the Nihil to, or not the Nihil, the, um, the Drengear to harm the plant life on the space station. And, here come the eight T droids, uh, and they just they prune the hell out of these Drengear, and uh, it, it allows the the crew to escape in the vessel. Yeah, uh, they still do have to deal with the vines, though. So the last thing that Reith does, and this is like the one thing that might cost him his life before they leave, is he goes back again, and he 
finds another control panel for the airlock in the Arboretum, which is like the main area where all the plants are. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he... he he opens up the airlock and that he does exhale first because obviously he doesn't want his lungs to expand and uh, for him to die when uh, everything is surrounding him is the vacuum of space, essentially. And he just jettisons all these Nihil and Drengear out of there. I, I do want to bring up, too, we, we skipped it. Uh, another cool way that Wreath kills Drengear again is he kills the Drengear that follow him and Dez from that planet back to the station. And the way he does this is uh, right before they get out of their pod, he force pushes the pod back into the tunnel where mm. the helix rings are. And the Drengear are upset about this. So they, they're just like, screw it. We're getting out of the pod and just climbing our way through the tunnel and eating them. And when they get out of there, Wreath activates the helix rings, which just incinerate it. But one of the things I really appreciate about this book is even though these Jedi are like faced with incredibly terrible odds against them and these powerful creatures and enemies that could easily destroy them, they don't necessarily use the force and like do these super badass force maneuvers to destroy their enemies. They use their heads and like they use their heads and the force in tandem to find creative ways to get rid of these enemies. And I, I really appreciated how that was written in this story. Well, in that part in particular, is a great callback to like, that's how they thought Des died. And Reith recognized that. And he's like, Oh wait, this will work. And he, and he incinerates them with the helix rings that were supposed to have killed Des. Um, yep. So that really cool callback there. Um, you know, uh, overall, I mean, the, this, this last act um, there are some really cool moments in it. it. As you may have noticed, I had a hard time really like paying attention to everything that happened because it was pretty jumpy. Um, yeah, there's a lot that happens and it jumps back and forth a lot. Yeah, um, it, this was a, not my favorite part of the book um, in terms of the writing. It was just really jarring and difficult to uh, keep up with, in, in my opinion. Um, but again, there were some really like there were some of the biggest highlights of the book in this part as well. Um, so uh, toward the uh, toward the end of their uh, ver uh, their stay on the their second stay on the station, um, they 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 uh, they start to get out of get out of town there, and then uh, Leox comes in with some hero mode stuff and uh, heals Dez with his medicinal spice. Which I think is the spice thing is um, weird in in Star Wars. It is. I'm I'm trying to figure out what spice is. We, we talked is about it? this before we got on here. It's like we have stories where it's like an opium fiend who's addicted to it and is just a, a total mess. But then you've got people like Leox who seem to just like it, it seems like it's uh, their version of pot in the star Wars universe and it can be used medicinally. So like I, my question to you guys earlier was like, what is spice? Is it a catch all phrase just that means drugs or is it something that like, there are so many strains of this thing that it could be highly addictive. It could not be, it could be medicinal. It could be recreational. Like I, I don't know what it is and I want to know. You, you said it right there. So it's like spice was a, 
a word that refers to all types of different things like drugs essentially but it's different types of spice so they don't like discern necessarily one type of spice from another like as they refer to it but there are different types of spice depending on like what you want to do i think that's disney's way of being able to reference drugs without saying the word drugs so like they'll talk about some spice that like is basically like coke and then some spices basically like cannabis um they won't actually say that explicitly but they'll tell you like the different experience or whatever um who's ever using it what type of spice they're running um what it's being used for etc etc yeah i don't know i mean there's just so much there's there's been so much about spice like you know spice mines in kessel like there's very likely one kind of spice on Kessel, right? Are there other types of spice elsewhere in the galaxy? You know, like, I, I don't know. I just think it's like a kind of just like you said, like just a catch all just to just to be able to reference drugs, you know, and there's nothing really specific about it. I don't even know that there would be different strains or different types of spice out there. It's just a generic word for for drugs and they'll use it however you know they need to use it to fit whatever narrative they're using it for yeah which makes sense when we talk about it and break it down but like before that there are mentions of like the word drugs in star wars i think i'm pretty sure in some of these stories so like what confused me i guess is like what's the difference between drugs as an overall term and spice as an overall term, but it probably makes sense that they're just using it as a catch-all. Andy looks like he's looking something up. No, I did. Yeah. I went to the Wikipedia for the canon. And so spice also known as narco spice was a slang for various mind altering drugs. Varieties include Ryle, the strongest, most expensive glitter stim. Um, the planet Kessel is rich with these spices, which are harvested in dangerous mines. At one point in history, blood blood slave labor. So yeah, there are there Where are did different all that types. Come from I've never heard that before. Where's uh, that Glitter stim. Well, yeah, Where did that come from. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Hmm. Well, Star we can Wars. Pick that up another time. <laughs> but I'm just yeah, like glitter, glitter stim sounds like the bath salts of spice. It, it looks like a lot of the references are from episodes of the Clone Wars for the canon huh. here. Uh, and then I'm looking for any other. Uh, it's a bunch of the Star Wars comics mention different types of spice at various points in times. I guess it's kind of a more appropriate medium for that yeah. sort of content. Yeah, that makes we're, sense. We're not getting this referenced in you know, Rogue One, no, where right, right. Jyn Erso talks about how her mom actually had a spice problem, you know, <laughs> and she had to go to rehab before they, right. they left to go hide away. Yeah. Well, that's another example of like a throwaway line leading into something more, like the spice right. mines at Kessel. Like, what are those? You don't know any context for that when C3PO says that. But now it's its whole thing. Um, I I did want to bring up one thing that I did miss when we're talking about uh, Wreath and the airlock and the Arboretum. He is saved by oh none God. other than Geode. Oh so that God. is the big pay payoff. That. Yeah. <laughs> is that Geode, the entire book, is referenced as this thing that might not be sentient, might be sentient. Wreath cannot gather 
any force energy from him, cannot get any signature from him. And finally, when he saves Wreath, he feels him through the force. And it's just a really cool moment. And it doesn't show how he gets there. We still have a lot to question about what Geode is, who he is, and how he moves around and everything. I, I expected him yeah. to sprout arms and legs at one point and just kind of like hide them like a turtle, but we don't even get that. So like all we know is he's sentient and he's awesome and he, he saves is. the day. I pictured that scene where like Wreath like looks up and it's just this boulder with like sunlight right behind it. And all you see is like this shimmering geode. Um, I, 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 I can't believe we forgot about that moment. It was so funny. I, I just love Geode. I love yeah, Geode. And if you look up the concept art for Geode too, it's just a rock. It's a rock. There's a nothing rack. else. I, I was looking for like, there's got to be something in the concept art that like leads you no to nubs, believe it might anything? be sentient. Yeah. No. Like anything. It, it's just, it's just a slab of stone. It's not even a boulder. It's like a very straight slab for some reason. Yeah. Well, that's like, I didn't look at any of the art before I read the book and I was like, I just, I, I had this vision in my mind. I was like, that's what it, that's the geode uh savior savior pose yeah. um but remember i mean he was uh on, on coruscant geode was like living it up in the clubs yeah and uh he, he's into the nightlife on coruscant yeah sure. he's <laughs> smoked one or two death sticks in his yeah. life too i'm pretty sure oh, yeah. is like yeah. that guy's got to slow down <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just love the references to geode it's so funny yeah. Uh, all right, anyway, the yeah. irony on this part is not lost to me, though, how in other iterations of Star Wars, the Jedi has to like lift the rock as a moment of training. And in this moment, it's Wreath smashing into the rock is his like <laughs> his not training necessarily. But like this is the ironic part where it's like, oh, he's not saved because he can lift rocks. He's saved because he crashes into one. That is so a, a, a rock a saves. Out. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. That's a good call out. So, all right, guys, let's so let's get into the resolutions of this book and and, and kind of wrap it up a little bit because we're we're pretty much at the end here. Um, so uh, back on Coruscant again. Um, a few things happen to to kind of wrap it up here. So Affy uh, actually gets offered um, to kind of lead the guild by Scovar. Um, and um, this is after Affy finds all this stuff out about Scovar and and the Bind Guild and and what actually goes on there, um, including and in, uh, not limited to the uh, you know the indentured servitude that goes on the and and, and, and Leox is running Spice right. I mean, and there's like not that that's the the main issue here, but I mean there's there's a lot of things that Affy just can't agree with. Um, that Scovar has set up as uh, you know, kind of the main uh, mechanics of the the Bind Guild, um, and Affy inevitably turns down the Scovar's offer. Not only that, but she turns her into the authorities, um, and uh, Scovar is is arrested. Um, and I just think this is a really kind of interesting way to go down because in Star Wars you always think like. Oh, she's going to go by, you know, by by uh, coercion of blaster or, you know, it's like it's never just a judicial cut and dry. She gets arrested. She goes to prison. You know what I mean? Like there's there's usually something else to go with. But it's, no, it's just 
she she just turned her in and that was it yeah that was the end of it I think it subverted expectations a little bit because obviously Affy goes to the station to gather more information and confront Skovar with this information and basically like maybe not with the plan of holding holding her at blaster point, but maybe she will at some point and like she's hoping that this information will just dissuade Skovar from using these practices of putting these indentured servants in super dangerous positions. And when Skovar essentially offers uh, the guild to her, uh, like control of it now, but uh, definite control and like passing on of the guild to her in the future when Skovar retires. And Affy like legitimately thinks about it at this point. And she's like, you know, maybe I can just buy my time, pay my dues, and then eventually I'll be able to run things the way I want to and make the change I want to. But I like that even though like maybe the way she did it was kind of jarring as far as Star Wars, I do like that like she goes immediately from that thought to, no, screw that. E- even though she raised me and she was good to me and all this stuff, my parents are dead because of her and other people are going to die because of her and I can't just sit idly by and watch this happen. I need to do yeah. something about it. And she does, and she ends up getting the guild... By proxy anyway, because she's the next in command and uh, the vessel belongs to her. The entire guild now belongs to her. The, the Republic essentially hands everything over to her. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, which is cool. I, it would, hopefully we see more um, of Affy and the Buying Guild in the future. You know, I, I, just, I think we I, will. I love this crew um, and uh, and I hope we see him again. I definitely think we're going to see the crew, though, but I think what this actually sets up is a chain of events for the crime lords to take over. So this is something that's mentioned in the subplot C, but it ties directly to this. I think it's like that parallel is the fact that um, what ends up happening uh, in subplot C with these like two ruling parties or whatever is it was really like the huts that were behind it all. Right. So like they're the masterminds, if you will. Uh, behind the scenes here, you know, concocting the scheme or whatever to take advantage of uh, these two planets. How does that relate to what's going on with Affy? Well, indentured servitude is essentially slavery light. You know, you get paid to do. It's not as bad maybe as slavery because eventually you can get out of it. But at least it's like some kind of like systematic structure in place that prevents slavery. Well, the consequence now of what happened with Affy, there is no longer that. So who's going to take, you know, that space up? Who's going to occupy that void now that there isn't essentially legal slavery in the form of indentured servitude? Um, The huts are going to take over with slavery. So I think that's what we're going to build up to is like this is going to create more conflict than necessary resolution for Affy and ultimately lead to what we see in the prequel era, which is, you know, the huts ruling Tatooine and um, crime syndicates, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, that would be super interesting to see. Cause, I mean, the huts, I think, are extremely underrated. But I mean, we see them as a crime, you know, syndicate family, even past you know the the uh, events of the New Republic. You know, in in uh, in the um, aftermath series, the the huts are still prevalent. I mean, the huts don't go anywhere. I mean, they've they've been in 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 and around crime for forever um and this would be i I like that point this would be a really cool way to to introduce some hut material Mm -hmm. i like it 
I like it. I don't know if we'll necessarily see Hutz more often. I wouldn't be surprised if we did. But at least knowing like what Affie did, she thinks she did the right thing. Um, and she might have, but her actions are going to cause way more harm to people now that essentially the black market is going to exist. Oh, we need people to do these things. Okay, it's going to be slave labor. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we're going to rely on marauders to do things or whatever. Um, you know, that's no longer a legal entity. Yeah, adding more moral conflict to the galaxy. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so th- so that's Affy's story, and that kind of wraps that up. And then, um, so the Jedi are a different story. Um, the Jedi appear in front of the council. Um, they're not super happy with them. Um, you know, they do, they do say, you know, this is... You, you know, you went around our uh, went behind our backs to do this, but you know there was good reason to do so. And you know, they always the, the this council kind of always gives an out to the Jedi. You know, even when um, you know when Reith was saying what what she what he did um, in 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 terms of what he told uh, Nan, they're like, well, you didn't know at the time. You the, the, we would have done the same thing. Same thing with Comac and, and Orla. Well, you didn't know at the time. This is the information that you had. You know, they they're kind of always giving them an out um, of of punishment. Uh, and this is another example of that. And 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 I know we've we beat to death. You know, the differences between this Jedi Order and and uh, and the one we're used to. But um, it's evident in this book in, in particular. And it's important. I, I think it's yeah. something that should be beat to death because I think that's a big point of this era is to show the fall of the Jedi into the arrogant, uh, very strict order that it becomes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, and, and, oh. and this is the beginning of the end. Because we have to see that why do the Jedi decide to go to a much more conservative, a much more traditional sense of the Jedi? There was an error or an error of their ways. And so instead of choosing like, oh, we need to reform our beliefs, it was no, we need to double down on our beliefs. The the Jedi Code needs to be strict, not allow people to um, meander through the gray lines of like, what should we be doing? What should we be doing? No, this is the way. This is the Jedi Order. This is the things we do. We need to follow them to a T. Otherwise, bad things like what's going to transpire over the entire uh, High Republic era, the events that lead up to the fall of the Jedi ultimately, are going to be just that. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll learn what those things were. Yep, absolutely. Um, so a couple of um, key moments for these Jedi. Um, Orla ends up uh, buying a ship for her her way seeker journey which is kind of like there wasn't a lot of mention of orla through this whole thing but her her whole thing was like she was like excited to go to the outer rim and she wanted to talk to leox about her ships and like how to buy ships and um you know it kind of all came down to to this where she she buys uh her own ship uh from a from a sales droid um and uh names it the light seeker and uh and so she's gonna hopefully take off on her own journey um, and maybe we'll see her in the future. Um, Jedi Way Seekers, or is that what they're called? That's kind of what she refers to herself yeah. as. Yeah, it they kind of remind me of that whole thing with uh, I think it's the Amish that like Rumspringa, where mm-hmm. uh, you know teenagers are allowed to essentially go to the modern world and mm. live a couple months in that, and like figure out what they want to do with their lives before they either commit to 
hey, I'm going to live like a, a regular American person or I'm going to commit to this Amish lifestyle. That's kind of what that feels like to me for her. Like the Jedi are allowing yeah. her to kind of expand on her path and her horizons in order to find what her path is going to be. Yeah, that's a, so what that's you're a saying. Good comparison. Well, I was going to make a joke and just say, so what you're saying is we need <laughs> to let Anakin loose a little bit back in the Clone Wars, you know, you know, let him get his thing on, let him uh, maybe do a little I mean, spice. You know, I mean, maybe. He kind of did anyway, it, right? But that's just it. He did those things like, well, I don't know if he did spice or whatnot, but like he was working against it because, you know, he felt like it was wrong. And that's the thing. Does it, does he have this uh, jilted attitude toward the council and the Jedi order on the whole, if he's allowed to do these things sparingly within reason, or does he just go off the rails anyway? Uh, maybe he does because he still wants to use the dark side to save his wife, but I don't know who can say, well, that's a different conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, the other, the other side of the coin is, um, Reith has to, uh, kind of decide what his Padawan path is going to be. Uh, you know, uh, the very opposite of Anakin's journey. He kind of gets to, um, go on his own path and just in, in, in carve out what he wants to do as a Padawan, where he wants to train, who he wants to train with. And he asks Comac, uh, to take him on as a Padawan, uh, which would be um, definitely out of Reith's comfort zone, very different than than Jorah Mali, um, and definitely out of Comac's comfort zone. Um, and as as uh, Comac has never had a Padawan before, and he discloses to Reith that um, you know, after all of this has happened, he has a wavering view of the Jedi and their practices and, um, you know, being able to express emotion and feel emotion and, and, and go through things that normal beings go through, um, while still being able to be a Jedi. Um, and he inevitably says to, to Reith, you know, yeah, we'll learn together. You know, we'll, I'll, I will take you on as a, as a Padawan and we'll learn together. Um, so th that was, it, it, I think a really interesting moment, um, f for this, for, for kind of for the, the end of the, uh, Reith Silas journey, um, that we see at this point, um, and, and kind of a new beginning for him as well. I, I like it that it's kind of what Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon's relationship was like a little bit. Yeah, uh, I didn't read Master and Apprentice, so I don't know. But like, that's kind of like the sense that I'm getting from these two individuals, like what the Claudia Gray is setting up to do is that we're going to get like the now the, the Master and Apprentice and kind of like more into those kind of dynamics between two individuals. Wreath, who is all about the Jedi, what they should be doing. It's a different era. So, of course, like the rules are a little bit looser and there's more flexibility with things. But Wreath is definitely like the expert on like what the Jedi should be doing and what their history are. And although Comac is also an expert of history, his kind of take now and thing is like, nah, I'm kind of thinking like, I want to look into the dark side of the force and see what that's all about. 
That's a good comparison. Uh, I don't think it'll be apples for apples the same because I think uh, Obi-Wan is more rigid in the sense that like he respects Qui-Gon, but he's not really even sure why he's stuck with Qui-Gon as a master and like questions a lot of that, especially mm -hmm. in the book Master and Apprentice. Uh, whereas Wreath seems like excited about the opportunity to learn from somebody who like just admitted to him that he has wavering uh, trust in the direction of the Jedi and what they're going to do. But th they also like come to the same conclusion that we're going to learn from each other. And that's, yeah. that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, and it will be interesting to see too. I, I could see a Comac falling to the dark side or falling to some semblance of it, or maybe dabbling in it, uh, which will be really interesting uh, to see if, any of that also leads to the rigid rigidity and strictness of the Jedi going forward as well. Maybe something with them happens specifically as the focus of these stories going forward. I could definitely see that, um, you know, with Comax, um, his attitude toward the Jedi now, I mean, you can see the, uh, you could feel um, the tension that he has with the Jedi and the, and the traditional Jedi ways. Um, and, you know, I'm glad you brought up Master and Apprentice. Um, if you haven't read it, you really should. It's another Claudia Gray book. Um, and that's another book that um, does a great job at kind of blurring the lines between um, the the light and the dark and the, the relationship between the two. Um, and, and that's where Comac is at right now. It's like, should this line be a hard line? Because I don't think so, right? That's what Comac is kind of feeling at this point. It's like, I, I don't know that we should be drawing these hard lines between the light and the dark because they are so connected. Um, and, you know, he sees that from, you know, the the events that happened on um, on the Amaxine station. So I, at the, you know, wrapping up this book, and there's a couple other things that, 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 that happen at the end, but... Um, I think that this book did a great job at setting up future events. I think we'll see, I, I hope we'll see all of these characters again. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and I'm excited to see kind of where the story goes, but I think this was a great stepping stone in the right direction of the high Republic. Um, and, uh, so I guess b before we get into our final thoughts, let's let's wrap up. They uh, they they all end up on Starlight Beacon, which kind of uh, coincides right with Light of the Jedi. Um, they, they go there for the opening celebration, um, and uh, you know the 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 Queen does reference the events that happened you know twenty five years ago to um, Orla and Comac and their masters. Um, and you know this actually you know if if uh, if you're keeping up with the comics as well. Um, Everything kind of seems to, at least so far, everything kind of seems to coalesce right at this Starlight Beacon celebration. The end of every story ends here. Um, yeah, I think that's going to be the pattern for all of the, because there are three phases to the High Republic. Yeah. This is phase one. I think all of them are supposed to end with um, Starlight Beacon ceremony. It's really interesting to me. I mean, you're, you, I, I want to see the next chapter and what happens, but it's cool that we get to see all of these stories working together that end in the same place. And then what what do they have to offer 
um, in the uh, for the future of the High Republic. You know, what what are we going to draw from these stories and all the events that happened um, for for the next chapter? So that'll be pretty cool. So you're saying it's nice when uh, Star Wars stories have a uh, direction and a plan. All right, let's not get into that right now. <laughs> this is this is a book club. All right, this isn't the place. Sorry. <laughs> Fine. This isn't. A, this is a book club. And and we're 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 positive here. We're all positive. All positivity. Star Wars. You're is, right. You're right. You're Star Wars is right. the best. Um, one last thing I want to touch on, uh, plot wise, really quickly, is uh, the direction that Dez ends up going after his experience. Is oh, yeah, uh, he takes he takes this thing called the bearish vow, which is supposedly this commitment to. Uh, regaining his connection to the force and it involves years of meditation and solitude. He says that what he went through with the Drengear and the poisoning and the manipulation of his mind somewhat broke his connection to the force. And uh, especially because they're so steeped in the dark side. So he really wants to reconnect. I wonder if he might be another candidate for things with the dark side going forward, as far as the Jedi are concerned. And yeah. I'd be interesting. I'd be interested to see what direction this bearish vow takes and like what things he actually does. I don't know if they will explore that stuff, but it seems like they're setting stuff up further. And th this like goes even further into like a very strict Jedi type. Uh, seems like very much more monk like, like they make jokes in this book about the Jedi being monks who fight, but, uh, I would say like this specifically is way more monk like than anything like the meditation and solitude and like really committing yourself to connecting to the force. So I thought it was interesting that they put that in there for Des. Absolutely. Yeah. I forgot about Des. Uh, yeah. He, 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 really interesting resolution. Well, it's not really a resolution for him. I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. Um, and then wrapping up this story is Nan, um, who speaks with our our favorite Nihil, I, uh, Marcian Rowe. Um, and uh, basically, he, he's he tells him you know, he tells her the Jedi are a formidable foe, but we're going to take them down. You know, and uh, and and that's pretty much it. I mean, there's not much else more than that with Marcian. Uh, we didn't get a whole lot of them in this story. Um, but, uh, boy, do I, 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 I just get eager to see where he goes for sure. Absolutely. So, well, very cool guys. Um, uh, that's, that's into the dark. Um, you know, what, what are, let, let's talk about kind of our final thoughts here. Um, you know, before we wrap up, uh, you know, what, what are some of the, the, the weak points or strong points that you guys want to point out, um, in this book? I mean, we've already mentioned uh, a lot of it, but any, any highlights in particular you want to, you want to shout out? I guess I'll go. Looks like Andy's thinking. So uh, a weak point to me, and we touched upon this, and I'll touch upon it a little bit more here, is that little C plot, essentially, yeah. where they go back 25 years. And uh, I guess like the important thing from that is it furthers Comac's thoughts about uh, whether the Jedi are right about not having connections to people that they're stuck with all the time with their masters because he loses his master. And then uh, Orla learns to trust her instincts because when she doesn't trust her instincts in this sequence, and I don't even, I won't even go into it because it really doesn't even matter, but somebody ends up dead and she has 
a great deal of remorse for that. And uh, her instincts were telling her one thing, but the Jedi protocol was telling her something else. And she followed the protocol and instead now, uh, you know, leading into what she's going off to do now, uh, she trusts herself and the force more than she does the protocol. And that's why she's kind of going in a different direction right now. Uh, but it was a it was weakly told, I thought. It distracted from the overall story, and I think there were other ways that they could have gone about just connecting those things because they kept talking about, like we said, oh, this feels a lot like this thing that happened 25 years ago, and you're like, but how? It, how, though? Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It, without going into too much detail, they really don't relate very much. It, I I thought there would be more congruencies and there weren't so i don't know it just really fell flat for me i thought the strength of this book was uh the character moments and uh the the real getting into who the characters were and connecting with them um and i i guess just the feel of the book i would say it was kind of like a video game to me it kind of felt a little bit like uh fallen order as far as like the order and sequence of things where mm. you start off in one place uh, with a mission, you get sidetracked, end up at this station, you go back to Coruscant where things began and you have a choice to make. And that choice for all of these characters leads them back to this station uh, very much like in Fallen Order where you end up back to these different planets that you started off in and you have to find things out about yourself, about the Jedi, and about uh, just what's going on in these different places that you've already been. And then the resolution is back to this thing that you were skeptical about going to, which was Starlight Beacon. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, I think that's pretty much all my thoughts on it overall. Good. Andy, I agree any, with that. Different? Uh, no, I agree with pretty much what everyone has already said about these things. Like, yeah. we've said it before, C-plot, really weak in this book probably and i'd say this is probably like one of the weakest c plots i've read in all of star wars thus yeah. far um probably the the worst one but that's okay because there are a lot of redeeming qualities to this book which we talked about one thing we haven't mentioned yet uh, or we've mentioned a little bit are just some of the easter egg things i really like that how their connections to books and i i guess that's one of claudia straits is she has her own like the Claudia Gray verse um, with the references that she puts in her own books, but also like the references to like the rest of star Wars credit to all of these authors to tie it back into like the bigger picture, like the station that they're on the max Maxine station that's featured in the comic book where Kylo Ren and Snoke go together to meet like there, this serves a purpose later on in mm. the story. And one thing that these writers will do um, and it helps that there's direction to Ted's point earlier, you know, maybe some of the problems with the sequel trilogy is we didn't have the the most solid direction um, going through all three films. But all of these authors went to Lucasfilm, uh, the Skywalker Ranch, and sat down with the story group. It, Pablo Hidalgo is a care. Actually, he's referenced in this. Um, did you guys know that's another like reference thing too? Pablo Hidalgo is like an actual character in this book now. Um, I forgot that until this very moment. Uh, there's like a character like pa Paolo, like Hildogo or something like that. Oh, no, I can't remember. No, I don't remember. Yeah. That. yeah, it was just like a quick reference. I was like, no way. That's definitely like Pablo's like in book reference to it. That's funny. But like, that's the stuff because all these people 
care greatly about Star Wars and like telling the bigger picture, connecting the dots. So to Zach's point earlier to people who are listening to this right now, if you don't read the books, read them because they pay off so much for like the little details. You'll pick up on these things uh, if you pay attention, if you put in the time um, to read them. It's definitely worth it. And although it might not be our favorite book thus far, I'd still recommend reading it. I still like it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I think especially in this era, you know, with the High Republic, I think every, you know, all of these major novels are must-reads. You know, if you want to keep up with the, the, the canon, um, and you have to read everything, especially in this era. Uh, I think there are things you can skip outside of this, but being so self-contained, it's really important to, um, to consume everything that you can. Um, and you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge comic book reader. Um, and you know, I've, I've kind of struggled through, uh, you know, some of them in this, in, 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 uh, the high Republic. Um, but, but it's, it's, I think it's important and I've, I've gotten some really valuable content out of them. Um, you know, you can actually, uh, take a look at the, uh, Star Wars quick comics on, uh, the sacred Jedi Ch- text channel, uh, to keep up with some of that stuff too. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I think let's let's finish up here by saying, you know, I think this is it's not my favorite Claudia Gray book. Um, I think it's probably towards the bottom of that list. Um, it so far it would rank second in my High Republic uh, books out of two. Um, you know, but. Uh, there's there's a lot of good stuff in here. Um, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good character moments, a lot of good character development, world building, um, and it's all really important. Um, and and I hope I hope 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 that it pays off um, in uh, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, all right, guys. I think that's it for us today. Uh, thank you, Andy and Ted, for joining me, um, and thank you all for watching or listening wherever you. Uh, consume this podcast i hope you enjoyed listening um and uh, i hope you'll join us next time uh follow the podcast on twitter for updates you can follow us at sacred jedi text follow andy at darth buckman on twitch um and also check out the franchise flicks podcast hosted by ted where he is joined by andy and i to break down uh movie franchises in their entirety um you can find us there on youtube and twitter at franchise flicks Um, Thank you guys again. May the force be with you.